and this is the Post Relevant Podcast, episode 21. Coming in for a landing. Over. Roger, we copy. That's the Earth. Radar our burnt window. Looks like it's converging. Good radar data. Altitude now 33,500 feet. Delta 8 is looking good now. Roger, Delta 8 is looking okay, good. Okay, all flight controllers hang tight. Should be throttling down pretty shortly. Right, confirm. You confirm right. throttle down. Right. How's it looking, guys? Flight fight will look go real good. Gotta try the stir ball again, Tom. Copy flight. Okay, looks like it's all. Roger, we got good data. Has it converged? Yes. Okay. Flight Fido, we're go, look real good. Roger, Fido. Fido says we're go, altitude 9200 feet. 830, looking great. Good. Roger, T-Go's go. Houston, we're finalizing mix down, loading off to interwebs. Should be ready for public consumption in T-minus two minutes. Roger. T-Go, you're looking great. We're now in the approach phase, everything looking good. Altitude 50 Okay, all flight controllers, gonna go for landing. Retro. Go. Fido. Go. Guidance. Go. Control. Go. Telcom. Go. GNC. Go. Econ. Go. Surgeon. Go. Capcom, we're go for landing. Altitude 4200. You're go for landing, over. Okay, we're go. We're go. Same time, we're go. Flight Fido right on, real good. Roger. How's our margin looking, Bob? It looks okay. We're about okay. four and a half. Roger. Eagle looking great, you're go. How you doing, Control? We look good here, fine. All right, how about you, Telcom? Go. Guidance, you happy? Go. Fido. Go. 700 feet, 21 down. 33 degrees. I think we better be quiet. Raj. Okay, the only call-outs from now on will be fuel. Houston, this is going to sound like a strange request, but I'd appreciate it if you stop calling me Raj and start calling me Bob. Over. Okay, Bob, I'll be standing by for your call-out shortly. Low level? Low level. 100 feet, three and a half down, nine forward. Uh, Houston, on second thought, uh, Bob sounded strange. Go back to calling me Raj, please. And uh, how much time do I got? I got to take a leak. Over. And about 60. Raj. 60. 60 seconds. 60 seconds. Lights on. Picking up some dust. 30 feet, two and a half down. Make that out. Stand by for 30. Four forward. Four forward, drift into the right a little. 30. 30 seconds. 30 seconds forward. Roger, 30. Sorry about that. My teeth were floating. Let's put this podcast on the ground. On back light. Okay, engine stop. APA at a descent. Boat control, both auto. Descent engine command override off. Engine arm off. Port 13 is in. We've had shutdown. We copy it down, Eagle. Tranquility base here. The podcast has landed. Roger, Twink. Tranquility, we copy you on the ground. You got a bunch of guys about to turn blue. We're breathing again. Thanks a lot. Ah, uh, shucks, Houston. You're absolutely welcome. How do you think episode 21's looking? You're looking good here. Okay, we're gonna be busy for a minute. No problem, Houston. I'll just count the podcast in, starting with 10, ending with 1. 
This is Kyle Rustino, a.k.a. Phil's dad, and you are listening to the Post Relevant Podcast. What, do you have something to say, Rowan? <laughs> you have something to say? Huh? He made a noise for a second there. Okay, right. Gene. Let's do it. Very right, good. I'm not going to say AKA. I'm going to say, um, Phil Restina's mom. That's more me. I would never. Well, you have to say your name and then yeah. you say AKA Phil's mom. All right. All right. So you say, this is Gene Restino, AKA uh-huh. Phil's mom. And you are listening to the Post Relevant Podcast, and then I want you to do something special. You're going to say, the podcast for the end of the end of time. Okay? Can you remember that? I can do that. Yes, you can. No. The podcast. She can do it. Because I don't believe that. No, no, it's not. It's for the end of the end of time. You ready? All right, here we go. Hi there, this is Jean Restino, AKA Phil's mom. And you are listening to the Post Relevant Podcast. The podcast for the end of time. No, the end of the end of time. Oh, the podcast for the end of the end of time. And then you can say you don't Good listening. And you don't believe in that. No. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, thank you. Very good. I'm on at about a two. Nice. A two out of 11. I feel like I'm maybe at a five. I'm a three five out of 11. Yeah. That you're two out of 11. Well, I wanted to say 311. Oh. Down, down. That was a popular song. Yeah. Especially three times the, 11. Especially the, the scat version of it. <laughs> the doobie doo song? <laughs> yeah. Um, I was working at an Amsterdam jam on Randall's Island in New York. What is an Amsterdam? Oh, that is, that's a concert. It was a festival. Right. Uh, selling beers. Sponsored by Amstel Light or something. Right. I don't know. But a big music festival. Like, yeah. I did them a couple years in a row, and I would sell beer. Yeah. And there was one, a bigger stage and a smaller stage, and Fishbone was playing on the smaller stage. Right. And during the show, they were in between songs, and and uh, Angelo Moore, the lead singer, was like listening to what was going on yeah. in the big stage. Yeah. And he's like, oh, that's is that 311? Yeah. <laughs> so the fucking Fishbone, that amazing band, was yeah. playing the small stage. Yeah. And fucking 311 was headlining yeah. at the same time. There's no justice, Phil. No, that's what I'm saying. No blurs. No blurs. Did everyone leave the fi- when you said that? Everyone left. Yeah, and so, mass. Yeah. It was. You just saw like a bunch of like legs. Yeah. Moving all yeah. simultaneously. And then you had the floor. You, you could dance. If could, I wanted you could to. Skank. Yeah. I could leave my friends behind. We were uh, talking. We were talking yeah. about the safety dance oh, I song. I looked up the lyrics to that song. I mean, it's not too late for you to look up the lyrics right now. But uh, we were having dinner. This 
a little while ago, and you were asking me, what's that song about? Yeah. The safety dance. And I had to admit that I had no fucking idea. What the fuck is a safety dance? All right, let's see. We can dance if we want to. We can leave your friends behind. Because your friends don't dance, and if they don't dance, well, they're no friends of mine. Say, we can go where we want to. This is written by someone who doesn't, who's like English isn't their yeah. first language, I would think. Yeah. Although they could be British. That means they're, yeah. Say, we can go where we want to. A place where they will never find. And we can act like we come from out of this world, leave the real one far behind. Then we can dance or sing. Yeah. I never knew that was what it was. We can go when we want to, night is young and so am I. And we can dress real neat from our hats to our feet and surprise them with the victory cry? What the fuck? I don't remember that. Say, we can act if we want to. If we don't, nobody will. And you can act real rude and totally removed and I can act like an imbecile. Say, we can dance, we can dance. Everything's out of control. We can dance. We can dance, we're doing it from pole to pole. We can dance, we can dance. Everybody look at your hands. Why, why, why look at your hands? Oh yeah, she's <laughs> We can dance, we can dance. Uh, everybody's taking the chance. Safety dance. Oh, well, the safety dance, yeah. What is the safety dance? There's no explanation. This does not explain. Looking at the lyrics hey, does not explain. Not halfway through the song, though. We can dance if we want to. We've got all your life in mind, as long as we abuse it, never gonna lose it. Oh, the classic rock lyrics right there. Everything will work out fine, I say. We can dance if we want to, we can leave your friends behind because your friends don't dance. Well, we already know this, and if they don't dance, they're no friends of mine. What a, what a bigot. I say we can dance, we can dance. Everybody's out of control, we can dance, we can dance. We're doing it from pole to pole. We can dance, yeah, I guess we can dance. More. Yeah, there's no explanation what the fuck a safety dance is. That's definitely a thing where, like, the songwriter would have to show up and be like, well, here's what I meant. Yeah. I was drunk. I think that was the explanation for it. Are you looking it up? Canadian New Wave synth pop band. Okay, they're Canadian, so right away, English is a second language. Why aren't they wearing hats? Meaning of the song. Here we go. Let, let us hear it, Andy. I've been... Daruschik has explained the safety dance is a protest against bouncers prohibiting dancers from pogoing in the 1980s new wave music clubs when disco was declining and new wave was coming in. Unlike disco dancing, which is done with partners, new wave dancing is done individually and involves holding the torso rigid while thrashing about. <laughs> pogoing involves jumping up and down. The more deliberately violent evolution of pogoing is slam dancing. Yeah. Club goers doing the newer pogo dance were perceived as posing a danger to disco dancers on the floor. So club bouncers would tell pogoers to stop or be kicked out of the club. Wow. Thus the song is a protest and a call to freedom of expression. Uh, so what is a safety dance? Uh, Why is it safety? Hold on. Two common interpretations of the song. Firstly, he explains safety dance is not a call for safe sex, and that this interpretation is people reading into it a bit too much. Secondly, he explained that it's not an anti-nuclear protest song, <laughs> despite the nuclear imagery at the end of the video. Hmm. 
I, I guess it doesn't really explain. I guess we'll never know. Wait, go down a little more. A little murder. Go down a little murder. Go down a little murder. Yeah, here. Safety dance called the Brady Bunch. Al. Weird Al did the Brady Bunch version of it. Weird Al. That's so stupid. In X-Men Apocalypse, it was featured in the deleted scene. Ah, interesting. Anyway, I brought that up because we were listening to medieval music in the video for that song. Yeah. It has a medieval bent to it. It does. Like, somebody has, like, a Joker costuming, and... Yeah, there's, like, a... Does the little person a jester. have a jester hat? Yeah, I, and I feel like they're, like, walking through a medieval village, too. Yeah. There's lots of hay bales. There's definitely some vest wearing, if I remember correctly. But the guy, main guy, has, like, floppy, yeah, floppy like, 80s Michael Hutchins hair. Pogoing was a big deal back then. It was. It was dangerous. It was dangerous. Kids, they gotta make a, a movie about that. But the disco dancers trying to keep keep the pogoers from pogoing. It's funny, and I mean, it's just funny to think that it evolved from that into people throwing their fists and oh, and, like to moshing. Yeah, and, yeah. Is moshing slam dish dancing, or is that? Something? It's even worse, really. Right. It is slam dancing, but it's like the most violent version. Yeah, it just gets more and more violent. Oh, the quietness is slam of the dancing? Is that just running into each other? What? Yeah, I mean, it's moshing, essentially. Yeah. I don't know if it's as much fist throwing, although there probably were punks that would do yeah. that kind of thing. Throwing fists. Yeah. Skanking. Skanking, yeah. Yeah. Although, skanking is not necessarily hitting and kicking people, no. but it's hitting and kicking the air. Yeah. To the beat. To the beat. As they say. Fishbone, which brings us back to Fishbone. Oh, yeah. Full circle. Full end, circle. End of podcast. <laughs> Good night. Ding, ding, ding. I'm fucking... I'm You're beat, at man. a three of 11. I'm at a three of 11. Yeah, we should just start the fucking podcast. That's enough for an intro. Okay. Okay, oh, sure. Here we go. 59, 172, 8. Can't count very well. Thank you. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Post-Relevant Podcast. This is your host, Phil Rostino. We made it. Episode 21. This is the final episode of Translating Under the Silver Lake. It's taken me over a year to do this project. I think I started recording episodes in the summer of 2021, and it's now mid-November. God, what a freaking journey. This podcast sort of saved my life, or at least my sanity, over the past year and a half. I mean, it's been brutal, what we've all been going through. I think we're all still navigating this post-lockdown world. It's all chaos. <laughs> what are we going to become? It's fascinating. But we made it to the end of this project of translating and interpreting under the Silver Lake, and I've learned a ton of shit. I mean, it's been really enlightening for me. And I hope it's been enlightening for you as well. And I hope you've gotten a lot out of this show, learned a lot of stuff, enjoyed all the stories and the songs and the, the bizarreness and the sound effects and the fun people that we've met along the way. <laughs> I have. I'm glad I did this. Thank you for listening, as usual. 
lot of cool things to get into. Talking more about the moon. Translating the end of the movie. Brother Andy's back. But I wanted to start with an excerpt from a book. This book called The Golden Ass by a 2nd century AD writer from the Roman Empire named Apuleius. And I will explain why I'm reading this afterwards. But see if you can figure it out. It's very relevant to what we'll be talking about today. So enjoy. Here you go. The Golden Book the Eleventh. About the first watch of night, I was aroused by sudden panic. Looking up, I saw the full orb of the moon shining with peculiar luster, and that very moment emerging from the waves of the sea. And the thought came to me that this was the hour of silence and loneliness, and my prayers might avail. For I knew that the moon was the primal goddess of supreme sway. That all human beings are the creatures of her providence. That not only cattle and wild beasts, but even inorganic objects are vitalized by the divine influence of her light. That all the bodies which are on earth, or in the heavens, or in the sea, increase when she waxes, and decline when she wanes. Considering this, therefore, and feeling that fate was now satiated with my endless miseries and at last licensed a hope of salvation, I determined to implore the august image of the risen goddess. So, shaking off my tiredness, I scrambled to my feet and walked straight into the sea in order to purify myself. I immersed my head seven times because according to divine Pythagoras, that number is specially suited for all ritual acts. Speaking with lively joy, I lifted my tear-wet face in supplication to the irresistible goddess. Queen of Heaven, whether you are fostering Ceres, the motherly nurse of all growth, who, gladdened at the discovery of your lost daughter, abolished the brutish nutriment of the primitive acorn and pointed the way to gentler food, as is shown in the tilling of the fields of Eleusis, or whether you are celestial Venus, who in the first moment of creation mingled the opposing sexes in the generation of mutual desires, and who, after sowing in humanity the seeds of indestructible continuing life, are now worshipped in the waved-washed shrine of Paphos, or whether you are the sister of Phoebus, who by relieving the pangs of childbirth travail with soothing remedies have brought safe into the world lives innumerable, and who are now venerated in the thronged sanctuary of Ephesus, or whether you are Proserpine, terrible with the howls of midnight, whose triple face has power to ward off all the assaults of ghosts and to close the cracks in the earth, and who wander through many a grove, propitiated in diverse manners, illuminating the walls of all cities with beams of female light, nurturing the glad seeds in the earth with your damp heat, and dispensing abroad your dim radiance when the sun has abandoned us. Oh, by whatever name, 
and by whatever rights, and in whatever form it is permitted to invoke you, come now and succor me in the hour of my calamity. Support my broken life and give me rest and peace after the tribulations of my lot. Let there be an end to the toils that weary me and an end to the snares that beset me. Remove from me the hateful shape of a beast and restore me to the sight of those that love me. Restore me to Lucius, my lost self. But if an offended God pursues me implacably, then grant me death at least since life is denied me. Having thus poured forth my prayer and given an account of my bitter sufferings, I drowsed and fell asleep on the same sand couch as before. But scarcely had I closed my eyes before a godlike face emerged from the midst of the sea with lineaments that gods themselves would revere. And gradually, I saw the whole body resplendent image that it was, rise out of the scattered deep and stand beside me. I shall not be so brave as to attempt a description of this marvelous form, if the poverty of human language will not altogether distort what I have to say, or if the divinity herself will deign to lend me a rich enough stock of eloquent phrase. First, then, she had an abundance of hair fell gently in dispersed ringlets upon the divine neck, a crown of interlaced wreaths and varying flowers rested upon her head, and in its midst, just over the brow, there hung a plain circlet resembling a mirror, or rather, a miniature moon, for it emitted a soft clear light. This ornament was supported on either side by vipers that rose from the furrows of the earth, and above it blades of corn were disposed. Her garment, dyed many colors, was woven of fine flax. One part was gleaming white, another was yellow as the crocus. Another was flamboyant with red of roses. But what obsessed my gazing eyes by far the most was her pitch black cloak that shone with a dark glow. It was wrapped around her, passing from under the right arm over the left shoulder and fastened with a knot like the boss of a shield. Part of it fell down in pleated folds and swayed gracefully with the knotted fringe along the hem. Upon the embroidered edges and over the whole surface, sprinkled stars were burning, and in the center, a mid-month moon breathed forth her floating beams. Lastly, a garland wholly composed of every kind of fruit and flower clung of its own accord to the fluttering order of that splendid robe. Many strange things were among her accoutrements. In her right hand, she held a brazen sistrum 
a flat piece of metal, curved like a girdle, through which there passed some little rods. And when, with her arm, she vibrated these triple chords, they produced a shrill, sharp cry. In her left hand, she bore an oblong golden vessel shaped like a boat, on the handle of which, set at the most conspicuous angle, there coiled an asp, raising its head and puffing out its throat. The shoes that covered her ambrosial feet were plated from the palm, emblem of victory. Such was the goddess, as breathing forth the spices of pleasant Arabia, she condescended with her divine voice to address me. Behold, Lucius, she said, moved by your prayer I come to you. I the natural mother of all life, the mistress of the elements, the first child of time, the supreme divinity, the queen of those in hell, the first among those in heaven, the uniform manifestation of all the gods and goddesses. I, who govern by my nod the crests of light in the sky, the purifying wafts of the ocean and the lamentable silences of hell. I, whose single godhead is venerated all over the earth under manifold forms, varying rites, and changing names. Thus, the Phrygians that are the oldest human stock call me Pesinuncia, mother of the gods. The aboriginal races of Attica call me the Cecropian Minerva. The Cyprians in their island home call me Paphian Venus. The Archer Cretans call me Diana Dictina. The three-tongued Sicilians call me Stygian Proserpine. The Eleusinians call me the ancient goddess Ceres. Some call me Juno. Some call me Belon, some call me Hecate, some call me Ramnusia. But those who are enlightened by the earliest rays of that divinity, the sun, the Ethiopians, the Arai, and the Egyptians, who excel in antique lore, all worship me with their ancestral ceremonies and call me by my true name, Queen Isis. Behold, I am come to you in your calamity. I am come with solace and aid. Away then with tears. Cease to moan. Send sorrow packing. Soon, through my providence, shall the sun of your salvation arise. Hearken therefore with care unto what I bid. Eternal religion has dedicated me the day which will be born from the womb of this present darkness. Tomorrow, my priests will offer to me the first fruits of the year's navigation. They will consecrate in my name a new built ship. For now, the tempests of the winter are lulled. The roaring waves of the sea are quieted. 
and the waters are again navigable. You must await this ceremony without anxiety and without wandering thoughts. For the priests, at my suggestion, will carry in the procession a crown of roses attached to the sistrum in his right hand. You must unhesitatingly push your way through the crowd, join the procession, and trust in my goodwill. Approach close to the priest as if you meant to kiss his hand, and gently crop the roses. Instantly, you will slough the hide of this beast on which I have long looked Fear no detail of the work to which I once put my hand. Even at this moment of time in which I appear before you, I am also in another place, instructing my priest in a vision what is to be brought to pass. By my command, the crush of people will open to give you way. And despite all the gay rites and ferial revelries, not one of my worshippers will feel disgust because of the unseemly shape in which you are incarcerated. Neither will any one of them misinterpret your sudden metamorphosis or rancorously use it against you. Only remember, and keep the remembrance fast in your heart's deep core, that all the remaining days of your life must be dedicated to me and that nothing can release you from this service but death. Neither is it aught but just that you should devote your life to her who redeemed you back into humanity. You shall live blessed. You shall live glorious under my guidance. And when you have traveled your full length of time, and you go down into death, there also, on that hidden side of the earth, you shall dwell in the Elysian fields and frequently adore me for my favors. For you will see me shining on amid the darkness of Archeron and reigning in the Stygian depths. More, if you are found to merit my love by your dedicated obedience, religious devotion, and constant chastity, you will discover that it is within my power to prolong your life beyond the limits set to it by fate. At last the end of this venerable oracle was reached and the invincible goddess ebbed back into her own essence. Immediately snapping the threads of sleep and wrung with a sweat of joy and terror, I wakened. Wondering deeply at so direct a manifestation of the goddess's power, I sprinkled myself with salt water, and eager to obey her every particular, I repeated over to myself the exact words in which she had framed her instructions. Soon the sun of gold arose and sent the clouds of thick night flying. And lo, a crowd of people replenished the streets, filing in triumphal religious procession. It seemed to me that the whole world, independent of my own high spirits, was happy. Cattle of every kind, the houses, the very day, 
all seemed to lift serene faces brimful of jollity. The sunny and placid weather had suddenly come upon us after a frosty yesterday, and the tuneful birdlets, coaxed out by the warmth of spring, were softly singing sweet hymns of blandishment to the mother of the stars, the producer of the seasons, the mistress of the universe. The trees also, both those that blossomed into fruit and those that were content to yield only sterile shade, were loosed by the southerly breezes, and glistening gaily with their budded leaves, they swished their branches gently in sibilant sighs. The crash of storm was over, and the waves, no longer mountainous with swirling foam, lapped quietly upon the shore. The dusky clouds were routed, and the heavens shone with clear, sheer splendor of their native light. Can you hear the rain? So that's an excerpt from The Golden Ass by the second century AD Roman author Apuleius. And The Golden Ass is a story about a man named Lucius who experiments with magic and accidentally turns himself into a donkey. And then he goes through a series of terrible tribulations until eventually at the end of the story he has a vision of the goddess Isis, uh, who he prays to, and she gives him the instructions of how to turn himself back into a man. And he does uh, become a man again and eventually becomes a priest of Isis. So there's a few different reasons why I chose this text, and the first and most obvious reason is that uh, it's all about the goddess Isis and her relationship to the moon, and uh, how Apuleius personifies the moon as Isis. So if you've been following this podcast, and if you uh, have been trying to figure out under the Silver Lake, you'll see that my whole deal has been that the central image or the central symbol of Under the Silver Lake is the moon itself and how it's personified by the triple goddess from Greek and Roman mythology. And then if you listen to the three-part episodes that I just put out, episodes 18 through 20, all about the King's Chamber from the Great Pyramid and the origin stories of Egyptian mythology, you come to realize that the Greek and Roman mystery schools are offshoots of the ancient Egyptian mystery schools that talk about the god Osiris and the goddess Isis and the relationship to the stars and how their whole mystery school tradition is about Osiris dying and being split into 14 pieces and then Isis putting him back together and sending his soul through the underworld and back to the birthplace, Zeptepi, the, the first place where the gods came from and in their mythology the gods came from the belt of Orion and the star Sirius which is Isis. And over time, as the mystery schools morph into ancient Greece and Rome, the star Sirius becomes more and more associated with the moon, and so eventually Isis becomes associated not only with Sirius, but with the moon itself. So I've been striving to show how this mythology helps explain the story of Under the Silver Lake. 
And so in my research about trying to understand under the Silver Lake, I found out about how the Golden Ass is one of the oldest depictions of the Isis Osiris Mystery School. And uh, coincidentally, I happen to have a personal history with the book that I'll explain in a moment. And surprisingly, or maybe not surprisingly, that personal history links right up with the story of Under the Silver Lake. So it's this weird full circle coincidence to me, and I realized that I was inevitably heading in the direction of revealing this story and talking about it. And now that we're at the end of interpreting the movie, it was time to share that information about the Golden Ass. So here's some information about Apuleius and the Golden Ass that I think is relevant. Apuleius was a Numidian Latin language prose writer and a Platonist philosopher. Uh, Numidia is in Northern Africa. And Apuleius spent time in Egypt and became an initiate of several Greco-Roman mystery schools, including the Dionysian Mysteries. And of course, I think that's significant because I believe that Sam, the main character in Under the Silver Lake, is in fact Dionysus. And the story of Under the Silver Lake is us watching him go through the Dionysian Mysteries and becoming initiated into those mysteries. And so the part of the story right after the part of the Golden Ass that I just read is all about Lucius, the main character, going into a Dionysian or Isis Osiris uh, mystery celebration and being transformed from a donkey back into a human being. And then later on, he becomes an initiate of the uh, mystery school. Okay, so here, let me read a little bit from Wikipedia about the Golden Ass, which I think uh, this little section explains what's important. So the Golden Ass, also known as the Metamorphosis, ends with the once again human hero, Lucius, eager to be initiated into the mystery cult of Isis. He abstains from forbidden foods, he bathes, he purifies himself. He is introduced into the Navigium Isidis. Then the secrets of the cult's books are explained to him, and further secrets are revealed before he goes through the process of initiation, which involves a trial by the elements on a journey to the underworld. Lucius is then asked to seek initiation into the cult of Osiris in Rome, and eventually is initiated into the Pastophori, a group of priests that serve Isis and Osiris. So here you see many elements from the movie Under the Silver Lake, uh, where this single character travels through the underworld and then eventually is initiated into the mysteries or the secrets of um, a secret society that exists in the underworld and that is concerned with becoming a god or a pharaoh. So this one book connects the Dionysian mysteries with the mysteries of Isis and Osiris and demonstrates uh, how it used to work back in the old days. It's kind of like the missing link for all of my research uh, and it fits snugly into my theory about the movie and the ancient moon goddess based mystery schools. So I'm going to go a lot more in depth into the relationship between Isis and Hecate, the moon goddess in my conversation with Brother Andy later on in the show. But I just wanted to point out that uh, in this uh, segment that I read from The Golden Ass, Isis is carrying an instrument called a sistrum, 
I believe the sistrum is a hand instrument, and the sistrum has a direct relationship to the Pleiades constellation. And that's going to be significant later on in the conversation, so just keep that in mind. Okay, so that's the first reason why the golden ass is significant. Now here's the second part of the story. And this is a little trickier for me to talk about, but essentially this book, Apuleius is the Golden Ass, was given to me by an ex-girlfriend nearly 30 years ago while I was in college. Um, I was really crazy about this girl. It was the first time I ever really fell in love and the relationship went well for a little while and then I got sick and I blamed her for my illness and I kind of went insane and so the relationship went from this really amazing experience to an incredible nightmare for me and I took out all my anger on this girl that I was in love with and I abused her pretty badly. Some of it was physical abuse. Um, I grew up with violence and I had internalized a lot of it and tried to be a good person but um, I sort of had like a secret psycho lurking inside of myself um, and I was a relatively young man and shit just went really bad and I didn't have the emotional maturity to deal with it and so I just took it out on her. I think it made me, it broke me. I was completely heartbroken, I was physically messed up and I completely hated myself for how I had treated her. I tried for about a year to get her back into my life to no avail, thankfully, for both of us, I would say. And uh, I wandered about in some sort of extended state of shock, disbelieving that I could be such a terrible person and that everything had gone from wonderful to utterly horrible in such a short period of time. And uh, I was just a broken person. Some mistakes you just can't take back. And as a cautionary tale, I would say that if you, the listener, ever find yourself in this kind of situation where you think violence or revenge is a solution to a problem that you're having, I'm telling you now, don't do it. It will solve nothing and you'll have to live with the consequences of your action for the rest of your life. It's karma, man. Um, so if you can find it in your heart to forgive people for things that you might blame them for, no matter what the truth of the matter is, do it. Try to find forgiveness. Try to move on. You'll be glad you did in the long run. I wish it was a lesson that I could have learned easier than I did. But such is life. It was really a rough couple years for me. And it kind of broke me and broke my psyche wide open. And so within a year or so after the relationship was over, I started to have all these synchronicities happening to me and these crazy spiritual experiences that included a profound out-of-body experience. And essentially, I was initiated into the next 
phase of my life, which was this long period of striving to understand all the mysteries of our world and to um, sort of discover if uh, extraterrestrials were real and if the spiritual world was real. And I started exploring um, conspiracy and meditation and all this other crazy shit. And so essentially my experience with my girlfriend, the one that gave me the golden ass, was the initiation that led me into the dark night of my soul for the last almost 30 years. Essentially, I feel like I've been traveling through the underworld, trying to make sense of my life, trying to heal my physical body, trying to heal my spirit and my soul, and ultimately trying to forgive myself for the terrible mistakes that I made and for just being a human being, I guess, for not being perfect, for hurting somebody that I love. So this book that symbolizes my fall from grace essentially and my journey through the underworld of my life also ultimately led me to the point in my life where I think I could properly, strangely enough, interpret the movie Under the Silver Lake. <laughs> strangely enough, this book that she gifted me almost 30 years ago explains the end of the movie. So again, it's this weird full circle for me. I would say it's a coincidence, but it's definitely not a coincidence. It's the way the spirit world works. Um, it's how the spiritual process unfolds. And I guess I've essentially come to this point in my life where I have to learn to forgive myself for the mistakes that I made almost 30 years ago or I won't be able to progress out of the underworld and into uh, the next level, the next phase of my life. So that's what I've been trying to do is heal myself and forgive myself. It's crazy, man. I hope that the woman that I had these experiences with understood how much I really loved her and cared about her. I know that she told me that she forgave me for what I put her through. And I'm grateful. I'm strangely grateful to her for all the terrible things that I went through because it got me to this point now where I have so much more perspective around the world and I can see deeper into our society and I have the second sight essentially, you know, I have the inner vision that allows me I think to be able to interpret all these secret messages or mysteries that are laid out in front of us through the media, um, through movies and television and the news. I have a way that I think I know how to interpret it because of all the crazy shit that I've been through, uh, the mysteries that I've been essentially initiated into. And it's the story of uh, Apuleius, of uh, Lucius, the the man who was transformed into a beast and went through all these tragic experiences and learned humility and uh, learned spiritual wisdom and 
learn to transform himself back into a man again. That's the spiritual journey for all of us, uh, how to really become a human being and how to master our animal selves and how to understand uh, the deeper complexities of the world around us. And that's also the story of Under the Silver Lake and what Sam goes through where he falls in love with this woman and obsesses about her and follows her into the underworld and learns the mysteries and dies and rises again until eventually I believe he ascends into godhood which is what we'll be talking about later on on the show. So yeah, it's all there and sometimes I just marvel at how the spiritual world reveals things to us when we're ready to understand them and how this year and a half experience of trying to dissect and interpret under the silver lake has led me to all these deeper understandings of the mystery schools and of the process that I've been going through spiritually in my life for almost 30 years. So it's incredible to me and I, I guess it's there so that I could share this stuff with you and I'm hoping that you the listener are able to get a lot of this stuff in a maybe a easier, more digestible, less tragic way than I had to go through in order to understand it all. But also because I'm sort of coming full circle with this book, The Golden Ass, and how it relates to the film and how it just sort of synchronistically all came together, I look at it as karma paid, essentially, that I've been paying karma for my mistakes over the past almost 30 years. And now maybe at this point in my life, I've done it. Uh, Hopefully, humbly, I've paid for my mistakes and I'm coming up out of the underworld now and I'm ready to move on to the next level. I hope it's true. Um, I think maybe it is true. We'll see, but I certainly feel like I've kind of come out of the underworld in my life. And, you know, it's also interesting because I think that maybe we've all been through the underworld, through this near-death experience together uh, because of the last few years with, uh, you know, the pandemic and all that stuff. Anyway, so in a way, everyone's primed to relate to this story. And I also kind of wonder if Under the Silver Lake was sort of like a coded message to us that we were about to go into the underworld and experience this mystery school journey altogether as a society that maybe Under the Silver Lake was a coded message to the world that we were all about to journey into the underworld together. Anyway, we'll talk more about that. But ultimately, I kind of look at it as an arrival for me and kind of a weird, strange victory. And so to finish this part of the show, I wanted to share this song and I'm going to talk more about the song afterwards. But it's a song from this album that I put out this year. The song is called Mr. Victory. And I think this is maybe the most inspired song off of the album. And I'm really excited that I get to share this tune with you guys now. So... Here you go, check it out. Mr. Victory! 
Freak.
Welcome back to the Post Relevant Podcast, episode 21. Holy moly. Holy Legally, the podcast is now legally moly. a base to drink. This podcast is going to sound like we're drunk. Yeah. But we're not. We're just drunk on the, the lunar juice. eclipse. Is this a blood moon, Phil? It is. Uh, we're here at uh, Shay Andy. I can't remember what we... I do remember what we called it before, but I'm not going to mention it because I don't want to give any information about Andy, oh, where Andy okay. lives away. We've already given away the information. Well... Now the people are going to go look for the information. They'll never know. You, but they don't know where you are. You're talking to code finders. Huh? You're talking... We, all your listeners are code finders. Code finders. If you were to name this place, what would you call it? This house. Treebeard. We are in Treebeard Manor. There you go. Uh, which is Andy's palatial establishment. Um, the last time we recorded here was probably in like January or February, yeah, it was winter, something like that. For sure. It was right around the beginning of the year. Yeah, it was winter time. It was. What, it was to... before uh, your lady friend moved here. When did she move? Here? No, she was here when you recorded here. I don't think so. No, I don't think she was here yet. She was here and then went away and then came right. back. So it was probably after she had left. To go help her dad build build her place, but she was on the podcast. Oh, you're right. She, but she was in the other place in Eastern Mass. Oh, we did an episode there. Oh, yeah, yeah, we did. Okay, a, so that was before. That was before we moved here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the last time we were here was probably like the beginning of 2022. Mm-hmm. Um, we you, were you, we were recording episodes. I'm gonna say episodes. Either seven and eight or eight and nine. Where in the movie were we? We were talking about. Uh, I bet I'm willing to bet that we were probably right around the the part where they go into the Silver Lake. Okay. I'm betting that that was that uh, right around where sure. we were. We did. We probably did the part where he kills. Uh, the God, we did the God Killer episode right. where he kills the songwriter. Okay. And then we did the next part, which is them going into the Silver Lake. Wow. With uh, What's Her Face. Yep. With, uh, yep. The daughter. The daughter. Neither one of us can we, we, It's been so long since we've we, done this. I mean, neither. It's been a while. I mean, I, I've slowed down in the the output of episodes, but also uh, we've, I, neither one of us have probably watched the movie in quite some time. Millicent Severance. Millicent. Right. Sevens. 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 Yeah. So that was the last time we were here. Um, but the first couple episodes we recorded in your place in Eastern Mass. So it's sort of mm-hmm. fitting that now here we are in the last bit of interpretation of the movie Under the I Silver know. Lake. And we're doing it in person. Actually, you know what? We did record an episode with Christine. Yeah. Here. Yeah. So when would that have been? Um, Springtime sometime? Summer? Yeah, probably. When was Christine here? She's been here a few times. But Why was she here? She did a talk in New York, I think. Oh, maybe that's what it was. That yeah. sounds about right. Sounds yeah. possible. All right, so that was the last time we did that here. That would have been an episode, I'm going to guess. Yeah, that was the Dante. 16. No, you did Dante with her by... Over, over the interwebs. Right. And yeah. Then, and then we talked about the... We talked about the the... The, the uh, final man and the three women in the yeah, hut. Yeah. That was the last time we were here. Okay, so I was wrong. But anyway, now we're back. <laughs> right, and it's a celestial event. 
It's episode 21. We're going to finish the movie Under the Silver Lake. And it just so happens that there is a blood moon lunar eclipse happening at like five or six in the morning. Yeah. Tonight or tomorrow morning. And, and completely unplanned. Completely unplanned. I've been here for a week uh, helping Andy fix up his place. Yeah. And uh, so we, I wasn't even sure we we're going to get to do this episode, but. Uh, we had this one day uh, where it just worked out. I did a bunch of research this afternoon. and I I'm did no research. You did no research. I'm As sort of flying by the seat of my pants here, but um, uh, it's all working out. And, it, and, and we're going to be talking about uh, what the end of the movie means and talking a lot about the moon again. Yeah. So the coincidence of that there is a blood moon lunar, full lunar eclipse yeah. tonight is uh, pretty cool. Pretty fucking wild. Yeah. How did that happen? I was just a... Explain it to me. Explain yeah. it to me. Yeah, you gotta wait. How does it happen? You gotta wait till five in the morning. Oh. I'm gonna try to wake up and see if yeah. I can see it. Okay. Yeah. Because I gotta leave early tomorrow anyway. Yeah. A lot of things have happened. I had a birthday in the middle of October and I was in right. upstate New York, right near the border of Massachusetts and New York. Uh, at, at Max Flackman's house, Max Flackman from episode 13 and episode, uh, I'm going to guess 19. Sure. It was my birthday, the weekend that I was there with a bunch of our friends from school. We were hanging out by the fire at night on his hillside, and he lives in the middle of the mountain, sort of. So uh, there's a lot of big sky. And no light pollution, so you can really see the stars. Nice. So we're there that night, hanging out. You know, everyone's drinking, so I'm not sober. There's a bunch of people, I would guess, somewhere around 12 people or so are there. It was a good-sized group. And there are a bunch of people who are not around the fire at this moment. It's early in the evening, but it's dark out. On my birthday, and we're looking at the sky, and all year, every time that I've gone up to his house, I've noticed that Jupiter is... Very bright in the sky all year. It's been out all year long. Right. And uh, the last time I was there, before this time, we noticed that you could see in a line like Saturn, Jupiter, Mars. Nice. The moon. And if you if you had stayed awake, you probably would have eventually seen Mercury and Venus right. all in this long diagonal line going across cool. the night sky. Pretty cool. So that night, Jupiter is out. Probably Saturn's out too. Um, but it's before a lot of stars are out yet. And um, we're looking at Jupiter. It's super bright in the sky. And all of a sudden, I noticed there are these two stars really close to Jupiter. Yeah. And there shouldn't be any stars visible near Jupiter at that sure. moment. They're not normally there. But they're pretty bright. And they're, they're sort of diagonal to the right of Jupiter. Pretty close, though. And in juxtaposition to these two lights is this blinking light that's going across the sky really close to them. So that's something that's obviously a plane. So I'm looking at it and I start to get this weird like dreamlike feeling. Right. I'm like that those stars shouldn't be there. Right. And I turn to a couple of my friends, Max and a couple other people and I'm like, "Are you guys seeing this? You know, are you seeing this in the sky?" I'm like, "Those those lights aren't supposed to be there." And a couple of my friends start looking at they look they're looking at it too and they're noticing it and one of my friends goes, he 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 comments about how this was the first time him ever seeing a UFO. Uh -huh. We're all talking about it. I'm like, those are UFOs. Those lights shouldn't be there. 
And while I, I have my head turned talking to somebody about it, and I turn back and they're gone. Right. The lights are gone. So I'm pretty sure we saw two UFOs on nice. the night of my birthday, my 52nd birthday, Excellent. middle of October. So that's my big, uh, my big event that's happened to me recently nice. in between the publishing of episode 20 and now. Nice. Yep. It's uh, early in November right now. Um, what is it? The seventh. So yeah, that's my interesting thing to report. Is I'm pretty sure I saw two UFOs on my that's birthday. That's awesome. Max has previously reported that he had a dream on his property. That he had a dream that he was picked up by a UFO that came down and landed on his property. And there's enough room in his front yard for a UFO to land there. Nice. But he said it was weird, like in a dream, you know. Right. So it was a little foggy. Right. Um, I think he said they were sort of like the grays or something. Yeah. But the weird thing was, is the next day he got up and he said that his Fitbit had recorded that he had walked a mile that Whoa. evening in his sleep, supposedly. Yeah, some lost time. I mean, I don't even understand it. Like, if he get, got picked up by aliens, like, did they just mess with the Fitbit or did he? Did they make maybe him walk the around for a mile? Taken by aliens. Oh, maybe just they just took the Fitbit. Yeah, they put him on a treadmill. Maybe. Did some tests. Anyway, I've heard a lot of owls up on his property before, yeah. too. So weird things are afoot nice. up there. That's my big uh, event in the pa- recent past was UFO sightings on my birthday. First awesome. UFOs I've ever seen on my birthday. Awesome. What about you? No UFOs on What's my happening? birthday. What's been happening? Uh, we've just been mostly in, like, infant land. How old's your baby? Three and a half months old, about. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And he's a... Uh, He's a cutie pie. He's a cutie pie. He gurgles and poops. He gurgles and poops. Yeah, those are his things. He smiles. He does smile now. Yeah. And he looked, he seems like he's starting to be able to put a little weight on his feet. If you uh, try to make oh, him yeah, stand yeah, up, yeah. he kind of can... He keeps his legs stiff, but he has yeah. no sense of balance. Right. So I don't think he knows what he's doing. No, but... he doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the big thing. Uh, I'm trying to think of interesting things. That's interesting. Though. I know that's interesting, but I, I mean, it's a, a lot. How do you like being a dad? It's nice. Yeah. yeah. It's great. It's tiring. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, we were watching that movie about, what was that Bigfoot movie called? Oh, uh, Missing Link. Done by Lycus? Lycus? Leica. Leica Studio? Yeah. <gasps> Stop Named motion. After the Russian space dog. Really good. Really well done. Good character yeah. design. Well animated. Fun. Yeah. Fun yeah, movie too. animated. Um, yeah. Amazing. And yeah. you were asleep. How soon do you think? Um, trying to remember the last thing I remember. I, he met the Sasquatch. Okay. So that's uh, really early in the and movie. And they were traveling. Uh-huh. Uh huh. They're on a train. I think I fell asleep when they were on the train. Still yeah. pretty early in the okay. movie. Okay. Yeah. And then I woke up at the end. But <laughs> but that happens every time we watch something. Oh God. Well, you have to try to watch it again. It's yeah, cool. I will. It's a perfect Andy movie. Yeah. I thought because it's yeah. about the Sasquatch and it's stop motion animation, yeah. good animation, and the writing's good too. So I saw a uh, a bobcat. Oh, where we, in our backyard we get bobcats every once in a while. Nice, which is pretty cool. That's the cool sighting I've had. Yeah, and I've seen bears in the yard, not in the yard, but in the woods nearby. Oh shit! What did she do? Uh, it it was a baby bear, so it didn't do anything. Wow. Yeah, I just got a old friend from California, Cole Sanchez. Mm-hmm. He just 
Instagram me. He said, I had a dream you were a character you were character designing basketball playing mole man. <laughs> and I said, I think this dream is possible. <laughs> no basketball way. playing mole man. Yeah. That's very specific. I know. Weird. So it'll probably happen at some point in my career. That's weird because they you have to imagine that mole men would be short. Yeah. And they're underground, but they're playing basketball, right. which is all about height. Do you think they're playing against uh, robots they're or playing monsters? Against, you know, they're playing against the, the Harlem Globetrotters. Okay, yeah. so they're the bad guys. The cartoon versions. The mole men are the bad guys. Then. Oh, definitely. Okay. Always. All when right. aren't mole men bad guys? No. <laughs> Perhaps you're right. Perhaps <laughs> strong men also cry. Yeah. So... You, uh, the listener might be in luck because chances are this won't be the longest episode ever after me having done a three hour episode previous to this. Yeah. Um, I have a bunch of fucking notes, which I'm going to apologize ahead of time for. Essentially, we're here to try to explain the end of the movie. Nice. End of Under the Silver. Do you think we'll actually get to the end of the movie today? Absolutely. We'll be done. Okay. Oh, wow. I mean, we, we just rewatched the end just now and it took... A couple minutes. Right, but... It was nothing. But it's taken us episodes to get right. to this part. It's true. It, it has taken us episodes, I agree. <laughs> Many episodes. At least 20. 20. 21, really. Yeah. If you count zero. Row. Episode zero. Right. row Rut row But yeah, so that's what we're here to do. We're going to explain the end of the movie as best I can. Uh, there are things I still don't get. Excellent. So well, there's still uh, mystery in the we're still guessing at things. These notes, I'm going to give a bunch of notes. We're going to talk about a bunch of notes that I just took, uh, research that I did, all about Isis and Hecate. All right. So in keeping with the full moon eclipse, we'll be talking about these moon goddesses. Excellent. And uh, their deeper meaning and how they relate to what's going on in the film and how it explains everything. Right. These notes sort of build on, they build on everything that we've talked about over the last 20 episodes, Excellent. but especially they kind of, they kind of launch off of the last three episodes, which were the King's Chamber, parts one through three, where I went really in depth into Osiris and Isis and, mm-hmm. and uh, Sirius and Orion and the Great Pyramids and right. anything else related to that kind of shit. What I want to start with is talking about Isis, okay? Right. The goddess Isis. All right, so this is something that I will have already read before uh, this com- part conversation takes place in the midst of this episode. Okay. Um, so I have this book called The Golden Ass by, I believe the name is pronounced Apuleius. Okay. But I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. He was a Platonist. Is this an ancient guy or is this a modern guy? He's a Greek writer from the time of Plato. Nice. Around then. Apuleius. Yeah. And so he wrote this book. And the weird thing is, is that this book was given to me by uh, an ex-girlfriend at the end of our relationship in college. Mm. Wow. So you've had this for a long time. So I've had it for a long time and I read it like decades ago. Mm -hmm. It's this book about this guy that... I don't know what happens, exactly how it works out, but he accidentally, through magic, turns himself into a donkey. Nice. And then he just goes through a series of terrible events where he's just treated terribly by human beings. Right. Over and over again, until he sort of prays to the moon Mm -hmm. 
and he has a vision of Isis oh, cool. in his in a dream, and she tells him what to do in order to change back into a person. Right. And so it ends with him sort of becoming an acolyte of Isis and it's essentially about her mystery school. Cool. Because uh even in ancient Greece and Rome, they worshipped Isis and sort of adopted a lot of the Egyptian mythology into their mythology, which is sort of what I've been talking about all this time. Right. And that's why I went all the way back into Osiris and Isis and all that, because all of the mystery school stuff from Greece and Rome is piggybacking off of the Egyptians, right. really. That's where it all starts. So in The Golden Ass by Apuleius, he has this vision of Isis, and Isis describes herself as having all these different names. She says that she's the moon goddess, also known as Ceres, mm-hmm. also known as the sister of Phoebus, who is a like moon goddess titan or something like that. Right. Also known as Pesanuncia, also known as the Cecropian Minerva, uh-huh. Paphian Venus, Diana Dictina, the Stygian Porcerpine, which is uh, Persephone. Right. Juno, Bologna, Rumnusia, and Hecate. And then she says, quote, But those who are enlightened by the earliest rays of the divinity of the sun, the Ethiopians, the Ari, I don't know who the Ari are, and the Egyptians, who excel at antique lore, all worship me with their ancestral ceremonies and call me by my true name, Queen Isis. Nice. Okay. So she kind of like explains who she is and who she's related to in that book. She's the queen of heaven. Okay. Now Isis is the star, is represented by the star Sirius in the sky, just like Osiris is represented by Orion. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you remember in the king's chamber, when I'm talking about um, uh, the Great Pyramid, there are shafts that lead out of the king's chamber and point at the belt of Orion, and there are shafts that lead out of the Queen's Chamber in the Great Pyramid and point at uh, Sirius. Okay? Nice. So that is Isis in the heavens. Uh-huh. And Isis is the star Sirius, which is also known as the dog star. Right. So, you know, it's funny because this is the big giveaway for what's going on with the dogs in the movie. Right. That the dog star, Isis is the dog star. Okay. So from this uh, website from... I'm going to I'm going to just quote a bunch of different places that I did research on and just give a whole bunch of information now about Isis and then how Isis evolves into Hecate. Okay. Okay. So she's Sirius, which is known as the dog star from this website, I think it's pathios.com, in an article called Hecate Isis and the Dog Star Sirius, quote, the star Sirius is in the constellation of Canis Major, the great dog and is referred to as the dog star. It is the brightest star in the sky, but more important to the Egyptians, its heliacal rising coincided with the start of the inundation. And that means that Sirius reappeared in the night sky at the same time as the Nile River begins flooding, which is on the summer solstice. So the whole like origin story of Osiris and Isis and all that stuff is all part of this, this like fertility story right. that is related to the Nile, essentially like coming back to life. Right. The, the constellation of Orion and 
the star Sirius, they supposedly would disappear for like 70 days or something oh. like that in the night sky. So they would be in the underworld. Right. And then they'd reemerge on the summer solstice. And that would coincide with the Nile flooding. Nice. Yeah. Uh, oh, oh, okay. So this is from an article called Hecate in Egypt by Meta E. Williams. Hecate had a preference for the dog above all other animals and for black puppies as sacrifices. Hey. Here we recognize Isis and Anubis. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think Anubis was the son of Osiris and one of the original gods of Egypt was named Nephthys. Mm-hmm. And she was like the consort of Set, who's like Osiris's brother, but also his enemy. And Set got Nephthys to disguise herself as Isis and get impregnated by Osiris. And they had Anubis, which is a okay. jackal-headed god right. of the underworld. So the words Hect, H-E-Q-T, or Hecate, H-E-Q-E-T, means ruler, chieftainess, priestess, uh, princess. It was a title borne by some of the latter Egyptian queens. Isis was the queen of the gods, the great lady, mistress of words of power, goddess of spells and weaver of spells. And Hecate is nothing more than a title of Isis personified. Hmm. Okay, so from Isiopolis.com, Isis was not a moon goddess in Egypt, but sometimes the moon was related to the eye of Horus, so Isis would have been considered the mother of the moon. The Greeks and the Romans worshipped the moon as the goddess. Magical texts give instructions for performing certain workings on the first of the goddess, which means on the new moon. When they saw depictions of Isis with her horns and her disc crown, which was like a, like a head dress that right. Isis is depicted as, they saw her as a moon goddess. So... Even though Isis wasn't initially related to the moon, she was the mother of the moon back in ancient Egypt. And then once uh, Rome and and Greece adopted Isis as a goddess, they were big into the moon. And so Isis sort of became a moon goddess at that point. The moon and the obscuring of darkness at night were connected with magic. And Isis was one of Egypt's mightiest magicians. Today, we connect the moon with emotions, the deep, the waters, the feminine, home, mystery, and change. Isis can definitely be associated with all these things, from the emotional passion of her myths to the ancient mysteries and her enduring role of the goddess of regeneration and transformation. Okay, so here's from Wikipedia. Isis's reputed magical power was greater than that of all the other gods. She had power over fate itself. So... I'm giving a bunch of this information because it definitely relates back to what's going on with certain characters and the way they uh-huh. act in the movie. Okay, so okay. this is why I'm giving all this info. Um, Isis is, is associated with thrones, meaning the king's mother, a goddess. She had the power to make a man a king and therefore a god. She was the mother and wife of kings. Isis helped restore the souls of the deceased humans to wholeness as she had done for Osiris. Isis was the mistress of life, the ruler of fate and destiny. She was thought to be more clever than a million gods. Herodotus, a Greek who wrote about Egypt in the 5th century BCE, likened Isis to Demeter, whose mythical search for her daughter Persephone resembled Isis's search for Osiris. Mm. And there's more connections between Osiris and uh, later on um, uh, Dionysus as well. But they're both these searches, you know, into the underworld to 
find somebody. So they, they liken Isis's search for Osiris to Demeter searching for Persephone, which we've established earlier on is what's going on in the movie that um, right. Sarah is essentially Persephone in the film. Um, in that time period, the Greeks promoted the cult of the new god Serapis, who combined aspects of Osiris and Apis, which is a bull god, with those of the Greek gods Zeus and Dionysus. Hmm. So they're kind of combining Osiris and Dionysus together in this Greek period. Uh, Cleopatra called herself the new Isis. The Egyptian Book of the Dead describes Isis as protecting deceased souls as they face the dangers of the duat, which is the realm of the dead. Isis's cult reached Italy in the Roman sphere of influence at some point in the 2nd century BCE. Shrines and altars to her were set up on Capitoline Hill in the heart of the city, and that's where we get Capitol Hill mm -hmm. in, in Washington, D.C. Mm. They took that from Rome, and that's why the buildings look like old Rome, you right. know, Roman buildings and stuff like that. The independence of her cult from the control of the Roman authorities was unsettling for the Roman authorities, and eventually the Roman Senate had all of the shrines destroyed. The cult of Isis was an especially important influence of worship of Isis in Greece. Isis's relationship with women was influenced by her frequent equation with Artemis, who had a dual role of virgin goddess and promoter of fertility. She was the queen of heaven. Another object of veneration in Isis's temples was water, which was treated as a symbol of the waters of the Nile. As I said before, mm -hmm. Isis's reemergence from the underworld as right. Sirius, the star Sirius, is related to the flooding of the Nile. So in these temples in ancient Greece, in these Isis temples in Hellenistic times, there was often included in underground cisterns that stored this sacred water raising and lowering the water in imitation of the Nile's flooding, okay? And in these temples in ancient Greece, some of the followers of Isis practiced incubation, which is when worshipers slept in the temple, hoping that the goddess would appear to them in a dream and give them advice to heal their ailments. Hmm. Isis was thought to communicate through dreams, including to call worshipers to undergo initiation. Temples of Isis performed mystery rites to initiate new members of the cult, especially the Eleusinian mysteries of Demeter. So there, there we go. And now Isis is part of the Eleusinian mysteries, which is right. a thing that I kept on talking about, which is this triple goddess thing of you go into the underworld right. and you take an hallucinogen and you meet the goddess and you come back out and you're transformed. Right. You know, that was the that was their tradition, the Lucinian mysteries. And so Isis is immediately is like integrated into those mysteries. And they're saying especially these uh, initiation rites were performed during those Lucinian mysteries of Demeter. So these are the moon rituals that Isis right. is a big part of. So this idea also of Isis being talking to her followers uh, who go into the temple and sleep there to get dreams from her. And you see in the movie, Sam having these dreams. Right. That one dream where Sarah is barking like a dog in front of a pool of water. Right. So there's Isis symbolism right there. The dog star, the dog. Right. And the water, which mm -hmm. is Isis related as well. Right. And then there's that other one where someone who's supposed to be Sarah is eating uh, the, the, the rich man there. Right. Uh, eating his intestines and barking like a dog as well. Right. 
And, uh, and I've mentioned this before, but another way that they would use divination was by looking through animal guts. Oh, wow. Yeah, reading the intestines of an animal. Yeah. So that's another Isis connection between relating Sarah to a barking dog and, right. and to divine, using divination by... He also steps over uh, Sarah's dog, which is dead, with its guts out as well. Right. So you're doing divination like it's the goddess talking to you through his dreams again and that. Right. Is there another dream? Does he have any other dreams in the movie? Do you I'm remember? trying to remember it. Uh... I don't really remember. Anyway, but that's like, you know, like, so that's another aspect of Isis is like right. talking to her followers in their dreams. Isis continues to appear in modern esoteric and pagan belief systems. Influential groups and figures in esotericism, such as the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, adopted this all-encompassing goddess into their belief systems and called her Isis. So I can't remember if it's episode 13, but definitely one of the episodes I was talking about how the imagery of Sam approaching the songwriter's house, his mansion, yeah. is just like the imagery of the, the four people approaching the Emerald City in the Wizard right. of Oz. Yeah. And that that image is taken like straight out of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn's like initiation book, right? Like that image is related to their initiation, magical initiation practices, right? So it demonstrates that even in the modern age, or as far back as the Wizard of Oz, they were using these Golden Dawn traditions to like as dropping like magical imagery into the movies. <laughs> that are essentially all based on the worship of Isis. Right. Again, of these old magical traditions. So right. that's another relationship that's going on in the film where another like, sort of like reference to Isis in a way. Okay, so eventually Isis sort of, sort of transform into the goddess Hecate, mm -hmm. which we brought up forever in this, right. in this thing. And Hecate is the... The crone version of the triple goddess. So right. she's like the the mature woman version of the the triple-headed goddess of the moon. Okay. Uh, so from this website, patheos.com, there was a statue of Isis riding a dog in a temple in Rome. Lamps and coins with depictions of Isis during the Roman period make further links between Isis and dogs. From an old Roman text... Hecate with three heads and six hands. On the right side of her face is the head of a cow, which is probably a reference to the Egyptian goddess Hathor. And on the left side of her head is a head of a dog. So now we're starting to relate Hecate to dogs. Right. Which is relating her to Isis, Isis and, and Sirius and the dog star, and Canis Major. Mm -hmm. Canis Major was seen as Orion's hunting dog. After the death of Orion, Diana, the moon goddess, placed Orion's dog in the sky at his heel to help with the hunt. The star Sirius is part of the winter triangle. The other two points are Betelgeuse, which is in Orion, and the star Procyon, which is in Canis Minor. So here we go, relating more information about uh, uh, that this winter triangle is relating Sirius and the dog star... Mm -hmm. And Canis Major to Orion, which is Osiris, and to, to Canis Minor, another dog-related, you know, constellation. 
Isis Hecate is depicted as one super deity on numerous, numerous Egyptian coins. She is pictured as triple-faced with solar horns and the solar disk later shown on images of Isis. Both Hecate and Isis are often depicted with serpents. Isis with the Uraeus, which is uh, when they have like that snake coming out of the top of their head. Right. It symbolizes divine authority. And Hecate is related with snakes. Uh, there are gemstones depicting Isis Hecate in triple form, holding surface, serpents, torches, and swords. There's an inscription found in Rhodes, Greece, to Serapis, Osi who is the Greek version of Osiris, okay. and Hecate. So now they're combining Osiris and Hecate. Right. So now you're seeing that essentially Hecate in their minds is essentially Isis. Right. Uh, Hecate had a strong association with the stars. Her mother was the goddess Hysteria, who is linked to shooting stars and divination by stars, which is astrology. Right. Okay, so here's another link to the stars and to divination. This is a quote from someone named Andrea Salgado Reyes. She writes, I am the light bearer, the maiden with the shining torch. I am Hecate beneath the earth, Demeter on land, and I am the mother of all the sky goddess Isis. They are one goddess, three aspects, and one child, the sacred Persephone, who represents humanity. Huh. Okay, so then now we're combining Hecate, Demeter, and Isis directly right. as one triple goddess. From occult-world.com, Hecate is the one before the gate, the three-headed hound of the moon, influencer from afar. That's important because... Uh, I think the character who we're going to talk about is Hecate. A lot of the times you see her influencing Sam right. from across the building there, right. so from far away. Right. Hecate is the queen of the night, the goddess of witchcraft. She is the queen of the crossroads, and she is she's triple-headed because the crossroads are considered to be where three roads meet. Mm. So she has to be triple-headed so she can see in all directions simultaneously. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. She patrols the frontiers between life and death, goddess of life, death, regeneration, and magic. She rules wisdom, choices, expiation, which is making amends for wrongdoing, victory, and vengeance, and travel. She has the power to grant or deny any mortal's wish. Ooh. She is invoked for protection from or for dogs. She is petitioned for fertility. She can banish ghosts. She's petitioned for a quick and painless death. She's invoked for healing, and she's invoked for sexual crimes against women. Hecate is the go-between the heavens and the underworld. She rules the passages between the realms of life and death. She has the keys to the underworld. Her name in Greek means pharmacist, poisoner, and witch. Wow. That's what Hecate means. Um... Hecate typically responds to patrons in their dreams and visions. She will help if invoked at the crossroads. She favors midwives, witches, healers, dog lovers. She's the matron of all women. She protects those who ride horses. And um, Sam drives a Mustang. Right. So uh, supposedly, uh, something else that I remember reading was like, the horse represents Hecate in the middle world, in the on the on above ground essentially. Uh -huh. So Sam above ground is driving a Mustang around, right. and he's following the girls and the rabbit. Right. So 
that's a that's essentially is represents Hecate, him driving the car. She appears as a black dog or a mature woman, a crone. She is associated with keys, torches, cauldrons, knives, and brooms. She allies with Artemis, Persephone, Demeter, and she dances in the entourage of Dionysus. Mm. She is associated with Sirius, the dog star, and the moon. She is the destroyer and the restorer of life, and she is invoked for justice. From Wikipedia, Hecate was associated with Dionysus, who sat beside her partially on account of their growth of horns. Hmm. And when they say that they had horns, it's a reference to the crescent moon, okay. uh, which is also her symbol, Hecate's symbol is the crescent moon. So the three phases of the moon are the three fates, which also sort of explains why if it's a triple crossroads, she has to see in three dimensions, which is the past, the present, and the future. Right. Those are the three fates. Modern Wiccans worship the triple goddess the waxing moon of the triple goddess is the maiden, and she represents enchantment, inception, expansion, promise of new beginnings, and youthful enthusiasm. And I think you can kind of see a lot of that when Sam is first meeting Sarah right. and all that stuff that's going on in the beginning of the movie. Um, the full moon is the mother part of the triple goddess. She represents ripeness, fertility, sexuality, fulfillment, stability, power, and life. I feel like probably, you know, when Sam's in the Silver Lake with yeah. Millicent, we're representing that aspect of the triple goddess, the okay. mother. I, I'm, it's, I'm sort of guessing at that. And then the waning moon is the crone of the triple goddess, and she represents wisdom, repose, death, and endings. Right. Hecate is associated with the city walls, borders, doorways, crossroads, realms outside or beyond the world of the living. She's also symbolized by graves, okay. necromancy, and sorcery. So that whole thing in the graveyard, right? You know, mm -hmm. is another symbol for Hecate. Um, and you see lots of city walls and doorways, and that scene, obviously, where Sam uh, follows that girl's ass up yeah. to the crossroads there, and it says, "Beware the dog killer," right? And they're smelling him. That's the crossroads right there. Hecate mediated between the Titans and the gods, oh, nice. as well as between the mortal and the divine spheres. She protected individuals as they passed through dangerous liminal spaces, and those are the in-between areas right. of the universe, essentially. And that's what Sam's... His whole journey is in, like, liminal yeah, spaces. transitional. He's, he's all transitional in-between... Yeah. And in the underworld and all these weird spots, right? Yeah. And he seems to know where all those doors are. So she protects people that are doing that. Right. Um, Hecate is associated with keys. And so right there, that's the, the association with... Uh, she's got the keys to the underworld. Yeah. And the main song for the movie, Turning Teeth, is all about keys. You know, like yeah. having access to the underworld. They sing about that. And turning teeth are the, the teeth inside of a lock. So right. you put a key in a lock and turn it. And so it's all about Hecate. It's all right. about Isis. She's also associated with two torches because two torches are on either side of a doorway. Okay. And so I, I wrote here, what are the special doorways that would represent Hecate in the movie? There's the doorway to the mausoleum that has that Egyptian symbol on it, sure. which is like a protection of the dead symbol. That has the wings on it, and the wings represent Isis as well. Like Isis is often depicted with wings out. Right. 
they're holding her arms out with big wings. Um, so that's the door to the mausoleum. Right. Then there's the door with the eye of Horus on it when he's in the underground. Yeah. And he goes into what he thinks is a bomb shelter, right? Right. And then there's the keep quiet symbol at the end that's door. above his yeah. door. So that's another symbol for Hecate. There's the the door to the actual underground that the homeless king leads them through. You could probably go through the whole movie and make a pass at it and find all the references to city walls and gates and doorways and crossroads. Right. A, a reference to a gate is when they climb over the gate to jump into the Silver Lake, which is the Temple of Diana, in my opinion, uh-huh. underneath the moon. Anyway, the last thing that I had in my notes um, is that Hecate, she can unlock the gates of death and she holds the key to Tartarus, which is where the Titans are imprisoned. Um, she guided Persephone back from the underworld with Hermes using torches. And then, of course, there's things that we've referenced in earlier episodes about uh, Hecate's three-headed dog, right. Cerberus, and um, how she witnessed Persephone's abduction into the underworld and helped Demeter find her as part of the triple goddess. And she's one of the chief goddesses of the Eleusinian Mysteries. So right. that's essentially all the notes that I wanted to talk about going into uh, talking about the movie. Uh, I have some more notes once we get to a certain part at the end of the movie. But right. um, And uh, I mention all that because I think that the bird lady right. is, is, Hecate. is Hecate, a.k.a. Isis. Right. Okay, and now I'm gonna, we're going to try to explain that. <laughs> but um, we're going to just pick up where we started from at the end of the last episode where Andy and I talked, which is uh, Sam coming out of the king's chamber. Right. He leaves the king's chamber, the, the king's bear cave there, and he comes upon the bulletin board that says Hamburgers of Love. Right. I think that the the billboard of Hamburgers of Love is the synthesis of Sam's ex-girlfriend and this Ronald McDonald-like clown face. It's like half and half, half female, half male. Right. And it represents the synthesis of his two halves. Right. So that he's gone through all this transformation and... He's been on this grail quest, essentially, to find the divine feminine. And now, through all the trials and tribulations that he's been through, and finally admitting that he was still waiting for his ex-girlfriend to come back and like releasing the past, he's now at this point where he's integrating his divine feminine, and he's more of a whole person than he used to be. So I think that the bulletin board, I mean, the, the, uh, the billboard of Hamburgers or Love what it's showing is this synthesis of the divine feminine and the divine masculine. Sure. And, and the, the, the clown image is like the fool in the tarot. Yeah. The fool in the tarot is represented by the letter K and that the letter K is also the symbol for Orion in the night sky. Right. Which is Osiris. So the way that the fool is walking on the tarot card is the same as the letter K, and it overlays perfectly onto the constellation of Orion in the sky. So the Fool card is Orion, which means it's Osiris, and the Fool is also accompanied by a dog, which is a reference to Isis and Sirius. So in a way, you could say that the billboard is the synthesis of Osiris and Isis as well. Okay, so uh, we just lost a bit of our conversation. Um, I don't know what happened. I must have hit the 
<sighs> fuck. I must have hit the, the computer and uh, stopped the recording somehow. But uh, we were talking about um, the chess game. Oh, okay. I so that was neat. And I'm sorry we lost it. But yeah, so we were trying to like explain. Okay, so we started to go into why, how the bird lady in the yeah. movie is Hecate. Yeah. And I was, I started by saying that um, one of the aspects of Hecate is that she guides from afar. Right. And so then we were, we were trying to point about... out all the times that she was sort of guiding from far away. Yeah. Um, and I, I, uh, uh, we can just talk about it in the present tense, I guess now, but uh, I mentioned how Sam using the, the binoculars to look at the bird lady dancing on her, yeah. on her patio is like, an astronomer using a telescope to look at the moon. Right. Essentially. Right. And so she's trying to influence him from the very beginning of the movie by dancing in the heavens like the moon. Yeah. And um, and then even, uh, but then Sam's pulled away by a, by a different version of the moon, the triple goddess Persephone as Sarah. Yeah. Who also has a dog. Yeah. Which is another reference to Sirius. And he's looking at her through the binoculars, so it's yeah. like he's spying at a different aspect of the moon right. through a telescope. And he's even looking at her ass through the yeah. binoculars, so he's looking at a moon. Yeah. And she's the moon, and he and the bird lady's the moon also, as Hecate. So um, there's another aspect where uh, the so bird is lady... like the start of a new cycle? Yeah, that sounds about right. Like she's right. she's the crone and yeah. but the the moon is turning over into a new moon and yeah. and the uh Sarah is like the virgin yeah. version of the yeah. the the maiden version of yeah. the moon. So yeah, you, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, it's like the turning over of a moon cycle right there. Right. And then by the end of the movie they've come all the way around to the crone again. To the crone again. Oh, that's a great point. Nice job. Oh yeah. Excellent, excellent oh, work. Yeah. But we we talked about the. I I feel like we're also talking about how like maybe like Sam is the bird lady's kind of knight, and she's kind of like leading him to kind of expose the the underbelly of this Hollywood world. Right? Yeah, and we got we have to kind of figure out why she wants to do that because is she trying to protect? Is she doing that to protect all these women that have become prostitutes? I don't know. Is that why she'd want to expose it and disrupt it? It doesn't seem to work. Sort of. I mean, he does get rid of the songwriter, who is definitely... Yeah. Sam kills the songwriter, where I kind of feel like maybe she wants that to happen. Right. The bird lady. Right. And maybe she's sort of like subliminally guiding him to finding out the songwriter, because there is that one point that we talked about where... She's in the distance cleaning her windows. Yeah. And Sam's trying to figure out the songwriting lyrics. Right. The lyrics to the song, to Turning Teeth. Yeah. And um, so it's almost like she's cleaning his third eye. Right. And then he has the epiphany about how to figure out the song, which leads him to the songwriter. Right. And he eventually kills the songwriter. So I feel like in a way... She's influencing him from afar right. to disrupt that whole thing with the songwriter because he seems to be fucking evil. Right. So it seems like someone wants to get rid of him somehow and right. using Sam as her knight to do it. Right. You know? I mean, it's his... Re maybe by the end of the movie, his reward is like he's outside of the system. 
by the end of the movie, hmm. right? I think so. He's kind of escaping like the 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 cycle of karma. Yeah, you know. Yeah, by leaving his apartment. Yeah, yeah. So maybe that's a reward. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he ends up with her. So yeah. maybe you're right. Maybe that's his reward. Right. But we'll get to that. Yeah. Sorry to jump in. No, no, it's fine. There's also, I mean, there's chess going on yeah. throughout the yeah. movie. People playing chess and references to chess. Sam's obviously on a knight's quest. Right. And the whole thing is like a chessboard, essentially, like right. a game being well, played. Well, even the map he's following. The map relates to chessboard moves. Yeah. There's the 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 party the that he goes to where everyone's, yeah, playing, everyone's chess. playing chess. Yeah. Jefferson Sevens gives Millicent that bracelet that has yeah. a chess move on it. Yeah. You know, so she's like a pawn. She's a a queen or something on a chessboard right. as well as Millicent is. And uh, Hamburgers Are Love is a well-known chess gambit. Right. So. <laughs> right. The old Hamburgers of lo- Are Love move. Yeah. I wonder what Stanley Kubrick would think of that. Mm-hmm. Famous chess player. Right. So she's influencing Sam from afar that way. Uh, there's more too. The birds, her birds are calling out Illithirius. Yeah. To Sam, which means liberator. Yeah. So they're trying to wake him up to his purpose, right. which is to, I think his purpose maybe, possibly, is to liberate these women who are sort of in the thrall of this right. whole prostitution. Do, do the ring. birds represent the women because they're in cages? I would say yes in a way, right. but the birds also, I think the birds represent something else that we're going to get okay. to. Okay, all right. I wish that we could remember more moments of what the bird lady's doing throughout the movie. Right. You know, what her all of her appearances, essentially. You could always cut that in right now. Okay. So the two spots in the film that I was able to determine where the bird ladies in the background subliminally influencing Sam are... In the same scene where she's cleaning the glass, later on in the scene, as Sam's trying to figure out why James Dean's name is important, she's cleaning a birdcage, and it might even be like a golden birdcage. And then he figures out that James Dean's head is at the observatory. And this is really interesting because a golden cage is also known as a gilded cage. And so there's a famous idea of a bird in a gilded cage. Um, I think it's even a a famous film. It's essentially about being trapped in your own wealth. Often it refers to movie stars as someone trapped in a gilded cage where they're surrounded by the trappings of wealth and beauty, what have you, but they have no freedom and they have no sense of identity. So this uh, moment of her cleaning the golden cage, the gilded cage could be a way that she's trying to inspire Sam to leave the cage of his life and investigate what James Dean's head at the observatory is really all about, where he's going to meet the homeless king and learn a whole lot more. He's going to learn more about what's going on behind the scenes and hopefully gain more freedom. After all, he is the liberator. So that's the first time. The second time the bird lady shows up in the background subliminally is just before the owl's kiss shows up at Sam's apartment. She's standing on her porch and it looks like she's smoking and there's a storm brewing in the sky. So it's almost like the bird lady is summoning the storm and uh, therefore summoning the owl's kiss to Sam's apartment. Anyway, those are the only other two parts that I could find 
Okay, now back to Phil and Andy. All right, so hopefully I've figured out her other appearances. I don't think there are too many other ones, really. No. Yeah, so I think that she is Hecate, and she's she's the crone version of the moon goddess. Right. Sam leaves the billboard. Yeah. It says hamburgers are love. He sort of recognizes that there's a change has happened by seeing that the billboard's being changed. Then he ends up walking in front of the coffee shop from the beginning of the of the movie. Yeah. And it's it, he's outside of the coffee shop, and it's playing Turning Teeth. Yeah. Inside the coffee shop. And he kind of slows down right at the arrow of the G. So it's there. It still says "Beware the Dog Killer" in, backwards on the window of the coffee shop, and he stops right in front of the G, and it's pointing straight at him as if he's either the dog killer or he's the god. He's a god, right? God, dog backwards is God, and the G and God is pointing towards Sam. So in a way, like it's sort of pointing out that he's become a god in a way, uh-huh. that he's 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 ascending. Right. Okay. So then Sam enters his apartment, and the first thing that we notice is that the keep quiet symbol has been painted on his doorway. Yeah, someone's been in his house. Someone most likely working for the bird lady, I would guess. Yeah? Yeah. Why does she want him to keep quiet? Well, I would say on a metaphorical level, he's just experienced the Illicinian mysteries, and they're mysteries, so the way they stay mysteries is by you keeping your fucking mouth shut about them. But, they, you know, they're also, in a way, in another way, it means, like, you can't describe the mysteries. They are, they're mysterious and they're beyond words. Right. You know, also. But that's been painted on his wall. Yeah. And he, it, he doesn't even seem to really notice no, it. No, he doesn't notice. I don't think he notices it until he's not in his apartment anymore. He might be right. So he goes into the kitchen. There's a note from his mother from Michigan, which I think is where the filmmaker is from. Well, and I think that's a videotape. It is a videotape. DVD of the the Seventh Heaven. And way early at the beginning of the movie where he's spying on the bird lady, his mom calls him on the phone. He's talking about Janet Gaynor and the movie Seventh Heaven and how she'll get him a copy of the movie. Right. And he's got some home-style orange juice and some saltine crackers. So in a way, it's sort of like bread and wine. Uh, but it's also like what it's Sarah's last meal. It's Sarah's last meal and it, before she goes she underground. It's a it's a like a taste that people Everyone. should shouldn't die without knowing. Right, something like that. Oh, so this is his last meal now. Yes. Okay. I believe so. I think you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he comes home with orange juice and crackers, saltines. Yeah. And um, we see him sitting down watching Seventh Heaven. Yeah. Watching Janet Gaynor. It's funny he wouldn't notice the sign on his wall looking at the TV. I'm not surprised. I, honestly. I know. It's just funny. He seems sort of out of it. Yeah. He seems a little bit in shock. You know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, he's watching the Seventh Heaven movie. And uh, Janet Gaynor says in the movie, I'm not used to being happy. It's funny, it hurts. And so while he's watching the movie, we're looking at, can you make that full screen? Yes. We're looking at what looks to be almost like an orgy of evidence. Yeah. It's almost like a map of all of his adventures, all laid out on the coffee table in front of him while he's watching the film. And so on the table is orange juice and crackers, 
the Playboy with the woman upside down yeah. underwater. The map. The C- the map, map that he that the map that he got out of the cereal box, right? But then also a bowl of half-eaten cereal. Yep. Um, there is the I Five Killer book, which I don't know what that is a reference to. There is what's that book behind it say? Do you remember? It's subliminal secrets, maybe. Yeah, we're not totally sure. There's the Codebreaker book. Yeah, there's Pabst. There's Pabst. There's uh the record of um Jesus, Jesus and the and Brides of Dracula, yeah. which is the sun, which represents the sun and the moon, the sun and the triple goddess. There's the People magazine cover with Millicent and her mother, uh-huh. uh, mourning on it. Right. Which is sort of like Persephone and Demeter in a way. Right. It's a remote control. Mm-hmm. There's magazines that we can't quite see. There's an ashtray filled with ashes that almost looks like it's in the shape of the moon. Yep. Uh, there's a bunch of cup, empty cups. There's the Under the Silver Lake zine. Yeah. A box of crackers. A pile of Nintendo Powers. Uh, there's Super Mario Brothers, the the actual game. Yeah. Right? More, yep. More beer bottles. Cassette. More coffee mugs. Yeah. And it's sort of all sort of arranged. I look at it almost like shoots and ladders. Yeah. Like a game. It's almost arranged like a game of shoots and ladders. Like with the, the way the crackers are going down and curving yeah. to the woman underwater and... I mean, there's at least three symbols of the moon there. There's there's Millicent on the People magazine cover. There's the the woman upside down underwater. And there's the Jesus and the Brides of Dracula are all moon related. Right. And the sun. Uh, I was noticing before that there's a lot of blue and a lot of orange. Yeah. So that's sort of sun and moon as well. Yeah. You know? But I, I, if there's another code in the midst of all this stuff, I don't know exactly what it is. But it... Oh, there's also the week, the LA Weekly with Jesus and the Brides of yep. Dracula on it, too. Yep, and there's a tomato soup can. No, oh, you're right. From when he was sprayed by the skunk. Oh, and you know what? I had a realization that when he's in the bathtub and soaking in the tomato soup... Yeah. And when he's killing... The songwriter and he's covered in blood. Yeah. Those are both like wine. Sure. Those are both Dionysian references to him right. being covered in wine. He's like bathing in wine. Right. Nice. Yeah. So I think that they're both like Dionysian clues in a way. Cool. And then it goes to a close. So after this, it goes to a close up of the crackers on the Playboy. Yeah. You know, you kind of notice like the orange juice, the crackers, the Playboy and the map. And they're kind of lining up with the bubbles coming out of her mouth. Oh, you're right. It's almost like a word balloon coming out of her mouth with the crackers. And the map is on top of his notes about Vanna White, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Anyway, and then the next image. Do you have anything you want to say about any of this stuff, Andy? Not yet. No. Okay. The next image is of Sam's lap as he's watching the show and the movie and he's got a picture of Sarah on one knee, and he's got a remote control on the other knee, and then to his left is the gun. Right. And that's the third remote. He's got three remotes. That makes sense. People have lots of remotes yeah, these know. days. Yeah, it's really funny. Do you have any? Do you have any decoding of that? Of the, of the. Yeah, you have anything symbolically that you think that might? Well, I it I feel like 
you were talking about crossroads. This seems mm. like a crossroad. How so? I don't know. But he, the gun. Mm-hmm. Then there's the movie. And then there's his muse. His news? Muse. Oh, his muse. Yes, she's definitely his muse. That's for sure. Um, I don't know. I feel like there's a decision he's making while he's watching this movie. Interesting. Do you think he's suicidal? Maybe. Yeah, because the movie really affects him. Mm-hmm. Especially what the the lady in the movie says. Uh, yeah. I think he starts crying, right? I think so. I think he at least sheds a tear. Yeah. But I wonder if the gun's there in view just to make us think that he's considering of like ending it all. Right. I mean, I didn't think that while watching it. He's pretty bottomed out. Yeah. Sure. You know? Yeah. I mean, a gun is sort of like a dick reference anyway. Sure. You know, which is another Dionysian thing. Yeah. I don't know. It does it does sort of look like he's deciding because it's on his two legs, the remote and Sarah. Right. I like it as a visual though cuz it's it a make, great visual. It's like something that I would do. You'd yeah. put the things on your legs like that. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah, and I, I don't feel like it's almost like the gun's just there mm. in, in case or something like that. That's what it feels like to me. I feel like if he's making, uh, he's coming, trying to come to peace with everything that's happened, but right. he might choose to pick up the gun and shoot himself. Sure, I guess if the, he's eating his last meal. Yes, right, exactly. He's yeah. having his bread and water or his body and blood of Christ, essentially. His yeah. last, his final meal. Yeah. Okay, so where's it go from there? We're watching him watch the movie. Yeah, so we, we get to see more of the movie. Uh-huh. And uh, she says, Janet Gaynor says, I'm afraid. Or no, the guy says, I'm afraid. Her blind, um, her husband who's come back from the war and is blind in the yeah. movie. So she's holding him. And saying, never look down, always look up. Which is funny since he's blind. Yeah. And then she does a little... She cute, does a cute ring a ding ding. She points up. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you're saying ring a ding ding. Yeah. She's pointing upwards and saying, never look down, I always look up. Yeah. And she's being co- sort of goofy. Yeah. It's a talkie. Or it's not a talkie. It's a silent, silent film. Yeah. So yeah. So there's Janet Gaynor with her word of wisdom in this crucial moment in Sam's life. Yeah. And you kind of see him taking it in. Yeah. And then I think that's when we hear the bird say, Yeah. Oliver. Say Oliver. Yeah. And he turns and he, he looks, looks across the, the way to the, the woman's porch, the bird lady's porch. Yeah. And one of the bird cages sort of lit up in gold. Yeah. Um, and I've counted the bird cages on her porch. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure there are seven. Right. Bird cages on right. her porch. Seventh heaven? Yeah. So, and the bird's saying Oliver, and he makes a funny face like he's figured something yeah. out. Yeah. Well, I feel like that's the deceit finally made the decision. Yeah. Right? But so, and I think in the way this movie works, Janet Gaynor is saying, always look up, and he hears the bird saying, Oliver. Yeah. And so, if you look up in that moment, what do you see? You see... The bird cages. No, oh, no, see, no, the keep silent. No, you see... If you look up in the sky, what do you oh, see? Oh, you see the moon or the sun. The moon. Yeah. So, the bird is saying... Over here, yeah. you know, Liberator. Yeah. And the, and and Janet Gaynor in the movie is saying, never look down, always look up. So if, right. he, if he was to look down, he would see the gun. Right. In the past. Right. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was going to say. And it's if like, he looks up, he sees the moon. Right. And he 
smiles, so he's like, yeah, he realizes oh. he has another choice. Right. Yeah. And the choice is the moon. Yeah. So the next thing we Here's see is door. him ringing the bird lady's doorbell. Yeah. There's a couple more birds in cages in front of her door, and she comes out, and she kind of gives him this weird look like, it's kind of like a what took you so long. Right. You know? But yeah. he, she looks a little surprised, too. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting look. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's, it, it, I haven't totally read. I like it, what she's doing there, but I haven't completely comprehended what she's thinking in right. that moment. But it's like, it is sort of, in my mind, it's kind of the, this combination of like, what took you so long and, but also a surprise. Right. And so to later, post coitus. So it we don't see him go in, but then it's now they're in her bedroom and they're on the other side of the curtains, right? And there are silhouettes of the bird cages outside, right? And the curtains are all gold. Yeah, and you know, and, and there's like a silver reflection of the pool. Oh yeah, and there's a cool like silvery blue like moving reflection on the cur- the gold curtains. Yeah. And she sniffs him. So they've had sex. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And she's sniffing him. And she says, is that patchouli? Yeah. And he says, no. So that's interesting because everyone has been saying that he smells terrible. And he smells like a skunk. Yeah. And like death. Right? Right. And I do think in a a lot of way, like he's a debt. He's been a a dead man passing through the underworld throughout this movie. Yeah. You know, but to her, it smells good. Right. So uh, that's another reason why I kind of think that when he gets sprayed by the skunk, that she sent the skunk to get him. Sure. To brand him so that no one else would touch him. Ah, that's nice. Yeah. So that's why it smells good to her. Right. I mean, I'm making that up, but I've always kind of thought that. So she's like, is that smell patchouli? And he's like, no, which I think is also a joke because she kind of appears to be like an old hippie. Right. Right. So that's why she would like that smell. Right. Patchouli smell, which is always like an old bong or something. (laughs) And, uh, and then the bird, then you hear the bird going. Yeah. Yeah. And he says, what is that bird saying? And she says, I don't know. Honestly. I always wondered, but I have no idea. So she doesn't know. Do you think she really doesn't know? I don't know. Yeah. In my mind, he's saying Oliver, which means Eleutherius, which is a reference to one of the names of Dionysus, which is the Liberator. Right. So it's just another moment of the bird saying who he is, telling us, the viewer, who he is. Right. Um, And they're still in cages, so maybe they still want him to let him out. Right. I don't know. And we you kind of see this shot of him in in like with the shadows of the outside over his face looking at the birds still trying to figure out what the birds are saying. Yeah, he seems pretty confused. Yeah, he looks a little groggy. So he's stooped Hecate the bird lady and then it goes from that to him being outside on the porch standing among the birds. Yeah. Okay, so this is what I want to talk about oh, now. Oh, the birds. The birds. This movie's gone to the birds. I believe that the birds are the Pleiades. Okay. So ah. the Pleiades are the seven sisters. Right. And they are a constellation that is 
uh, a mythological constellation worldwide. There are different cultures all over the world that refer to the Pleiades. Uh, for example, the word Subaru, the car Subaru, right. has six stars on its logo, and that's a reference to the the Subaru. Subaru is a, the Pleiades in Japanese. Okay, why does it only have six? Well, it's interesting because as I've looked in the myths, even the Greek myths keep on referring to one of the seven sisters as being invisible. Okay. Um, and I think it's because that sister married Sisyphus and she's embarrassed about it. Oh, geez. So maybe, maybe somewhere in the ancient past there were seven clear stars, but now you can only see six. Okay. So maybe one of the stars has died. I don't know. But, um... That's probably why there's only a reference to six in the Subaru logo. Right. But that's the, they're the seven sisters. And here's the story of the seven sisters. The Pleiades were the seven sisters. They're part of the Taurus constellation. They were mountain nymph, nymphs. And they are also sisters to these other five mountain nymphs that become stars that are called the Hyades, okay. which are also in the Taurus constellation. In one version of the myths about them, they live on Mount Nisos. And that's where Dionysus is from. He's Dio of Nisos. Okay. So that's the god, that's Zeus from Nisos, essentially. Okay. Cool. The god from Nisos. So according to this website, GreekLegendsAndMyths.com, quote, the Pleiades were companions and attendants to the goddess of the hunt, Artemis. So the Pleiades are the companions of the moon. And the seven Pleiades were also thought of as nursemaids and teachers for the young Dionysus. Okay. So in Dionysus's myth, potentially the Pleiades helped raise him. Okay. So the story goes like this. Zeus hooked up with one of the seven sisters, Maya, who's the most beautiful of the Pleiades, and they gave birth to the god Hermes who's also known as Mercury. Yeah. And in Egyptian mythology, they consider Hermes to be Thoth. Thoth is the ibis-headed god. Right. Who is uh, like the god of architecture, among other oh, things. Nice. So he's like this great Masonic god, and they consider him to be the person who created the Great Pyramids. Nice. Yeah, so that's who Hermes is as well. So in the myth, in the Greek myth of the seven sisters, all these gods are trying to, they all stood up like the seven sisters. Right. There's also this giant hunter named Orion who is lusting after the seven sisters. And the seven sisters are the daughters of Atlas, the god okay. who's holding From up the, the earth. Yeah. So this hunter Orion is trying to stoop them and Atlas can't protect them because he's holding up the earth. So... Because they're companions of Artemis, the moon, she asked Zeus to help them. Artemis asked Zeus to help the seven sisters. And so Zeus transforms them into seven doves. Ah. And they fly into the sky and they become the Pleiades constellation. Nice. So you can see the story of Orion chasing the seven sisters in the night sky every night. Because when you look at Orion and you... You follow the way he, either his sword arm is held out or sometimes it's depicted as him holding out a sword or sometimes right. it's depicted as him holding out a bow. Right. And if you follow the arc of his bow, it leads to the Pleiades constellation okay. in Taurus. So the way that I always find the Pleiades in the sky is by finding Orion. Right. And following it 
the trajectory of his arm outstretched to where to find the Pleiades because the Pleiades is dim, this dim cluster of stars, and you can you can only sort of see it out of the corner of your eye half oh. the time. But I know where it is, and I even had this experience where I uh, I had a dream of the Pleiades. And we were in, I was in our backyard in our hometown in Franklin, Mass. Yeah. And the Pleiades constellation was super big in the sky. And it got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and brighter and brighter in the sky until I woke up. And the next night I was out at some event or party in, in San Francisco and I looked up and I found the constellation nice. in the sky. So they were talking to me. Okay, so the reason I bring all this up is because... Orion is Osiris, right? Right. Okay. And he's hunting in the Greek myths. He's hunting the seven sisters and is trying to, you know, get them. And Zeus saves them and turns them into the stars. And so another part of Dionysus's myth is that Zeus gives birth. Zeus, he's created by Zeus and I can't remember who, but... I think the Titans find him and they don't like him and they tear him apart. Mm. And so Zeus reforms him and he impregnates, I think, this queen named Selene, something okay. like that. And she gives birth to Dionysus and that's how he becomes twice born. Okay. Which is one of his names and something that I talked about earlier in one of the right. earlier episodes. And he hides Dionysus from the Titans inside of Zeus's leg. For a while. Okay. And then eventually he gives birth to Dionysus again so that either his true wife, Hera, or the Titans won't find him. I can't remember which it is. He takes Dionysus and hides him on Mount Nysus. Okay. And he has Hermes bring Dionysus to Mount Nysus, where supposedly he's then watched over by Artemis and the Pleiades, and he grows up there for a while. Nice. And sometimes in, a lot of the times, uh, I, I did a lot of trying to find this online. The story is really hard to find, but most of the time they say that the nymphs that help raise him are the Hyades, which are these other sisters right. to the Pleiades who are also in the Taurus constellation. Right. But this one thing that I found said that the Pleiades raised him. So the moon and the Pleiades helped raise Dionysus as a child. And so I think that what we're looking at in the movie is the bird lady as the moon. Right. And the birds as the seven sisters, the seven birds, the doves that get turned into right. the star cluster. And that's what the birds in the cages are, the seven sisters, the Pleiades. Right. Okay. So essentially, whenever you're looking at the bird lady and her birds, you're looking at the moon and the stars shining in the sky. Okay. Okay. And I have this question, which is, if Hermes is Thoth, the creator of the Great Pyramids, and Orion is Osiris, could Mount Nysos be a metaphor for the Great Pyramid itself? And that somehow uh, Dionysus is one of these gods that represents the ascension that you're supposed to experience through the Great Pyramids, the way that Osiris is, ascends to Orion? in the afterlife that it sort of represents like what the, the tale of the gods are for, which is sort of like humans heritage of the stars. Right. And our, and our potential of becoming like star beings, light right. beings or whatever, God beings, you know, the purification, the deification of the 
of man to God, which sure. I think is part of Sam's journey. Sure. sure. That as Dionysus, he starts as a man and becomes, he ascends. In the movie, it goes from, he's standing on the porch after he has sex with the bird lady, who I'm saying is Hecate, and now he's standing out among the birds, who are the Pleiades constellation, the stars, and now he's standing out as if he's ascended into the stars. Yeah. As if he's sort of Orion, and the birds are the Pleiades. Right. And he's looking at the porch that in into his old apartment. Right. And through the apartment comes the landlord and the cop that was going to arrest him the day before. Right. And they're looking around. The landlord's all pissed off and they notice the keep quiet symbol on the doorway. Yeah. He's like, what the hell is this or whatever? And Sam is sort of slyly staring at them from, from a distance. From a distance. So it's as if, He's ascended to the moon and the stars. Sure. And he's looking down on the earth and on his old yeah. life. Yeah. And, and, that, so, and so now the, he's the, an ascended god man at the right. end of the movie. And it's almost like he's. I, the score of the movie is really loud at this point. You can barely hear what the people are saying mm -hmm. in his apartment. Yeah. And it's kind of like he's, he's. I feel like there's also an allusion to him watching television there too. Which is something that they keep doing in the movie. So you think that him looking through the porch into his old home, old apartment is like watching these people on TV? Yeah, it's like he just he's separate from him from right. it in a way, you know. But there's all these moments through the movie where they're watching screens, like him and Topher Grace are watching a screen. Yeah. You know, like yeah. Like there's lots of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and, and he just kind of like, he's watching it happen. He seems very, very removed from it. Yeah. And it's like, the more important thing is his, is that he is removed. It's like, he's watching somebody else's life. His old apartment has no connection to him by this point. He's left, he, he's let it go. Yeah. He's then, finally become a homeless man. Yeah. And then he, he does this crazy stare. Yeah. And that's how the movie ends. And that's how the movie ends. So in a way, now he's the consort of Hecate. Yeah. And we know that the consort of Hecate is the homeless king. Right. Right? But in magic, it's like the 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 queen of the witches and the um the horned god or the green man or something like that. And we know that the homeless king represents Osiris, and we know that Hecate represents Isis. So now I kind of look at it um, as we're talking about it as him standing up in the sky. Uh -huh. He's ascended into the sky and now he's the consort of Isis. So now he's Osiris and he's also got a, a cigarette, which so is like yeah. a light. Yeah. So it's like that's his light. So now he's amongst the Pleiades, these lights in the sky. Uh -huh. And he's making a light with the cigarette and he's standing above his old life. Right. And he's now like the he's he's just bedded the the queen of heaven essentially Isis or Hecate right. the moon, so now he's like a sun god like Osiris. Right. He's an ascended god like that's the his moment of ascension into godhood. Right. And that's how the movie ends. That's why he's looking down on his own life because now he's essentially a constellation in the sky. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. And that's my that's my final bit of. Translation of Under the Silver oh, Lake. Wow. <laughs>
Anything you say? So you, do you think the end credits mean anything? Uh, like what? Why? What do you mean? I don't know. There's animations. There's. I was trying to think of. Uh, I was trying to look at the lyrics to uh, that REM song. Oh, go ahead. You want to go through the lyrics? They're not that interesting. They're not that interesting. I agree. I, there's a little bit of codes at the end too. It's but, a real basic it, code, though. But it, yeah, it's the one from the it's the menu cipher, right? I can't remember. Um, and it, I feel like it just says the, either the director's name or yes, right? Yeah, definitely. It definitely translates into the director's name. I remember. Yeah, yeah. So you think that the end of the messages are pretty much at the end of the movie? I don't know. I mean, you could probably look through the animations at the end credits here and try to figure something out. Yeah. Um, But I mean, that's where I stopped translating is that the end of the movie. If you want to go into the credits and try to figure it out. I mean, I don't don't think I think the credits are just kind of for fun. Fun. That's how I look at them as well. There's probably something in there. Yeah. But um, yeah, so I think that's what we've ended is that Sam has ascended into become essentially Osiris in the night right. sky. Nice. He's a god. Nice. Yeah. So that's it. Holy moly. <laughs> it only it. took over a year to do this. Yeah. We started talking about this in la summer, summer of 2021. Yeah, it's like a year and a half. Yeah. Because it was before I moved. I've been here a year. Over a year. Wow. So a year and a half. Yeah. But I started publishing the episodes October 17th of 2021. Right. So right. it's been just over just a year over a of year. publishing episodes. Right. But we started working on it in the summer, the late summer, I think, of yeah. 2021. So cool. it took that long to, cool. to so explain now, the whole movie. Are we, are we going to do a, a, a commentary track? We've been asked to. We've been asked by one of the listeners to maybe do a commentary track of the whole film where we watch the movie and talk, talk. about, explain it all, I, which I'm, sounds really fucking daunting to me. Yeah. Well, because it's too we, much to say. If we do it, I would do it under the auspices of that we're just trying to have fun and that yeah, I can, can't I can it. mess it up. We can't pause We can't it. pause the movie and I'm, I am allowed to make mistakes and yes. not know things. Yeah. And we could see just how much we remember. Right. I don't want to even look at notes or anything. No, I no, just want I think to riff. Just and... be, yeah. So maybe we'll do that. That might be the next episode. I don't know. Right. Or it'll be the next Under the Silver Lake episode. Right. Least. Yeah. The final, could... Maybe the final Under the Silver Lake episode. It certainly would be. Yeah. You know, unless I ever got, unless I get to talk to the filmmaker. Oh, that's another thing I want to mention. I, one of my good friends grew up with one of the producers of the movie. And um, he offered to try to connect me with him to see if I could do an interview with him. And so I wrote this whole, you know, email to the guy and my friend was going to pass along the email, but he contacted his, the producer on Facebook and said, I have a friend who's been doing this deep dive into your movie and explaining it all. And I have a letter for you from him. That explains what he's been doing and his interest in possibly interviewing you or interviewing David Robert right. Mitchell, the director. And the guy's response was <laughs> that the director wouldn't probably didn't even explain the, what was going on in the film to the people in the movie. Yeah. 
and that he, as a producer, had no interest in even reading my letter. Right. <laughs> so I was, I'm one person away from being able to talk to like probably the main producer right. in the movie, and he refused to even read the letter that I wrote to him <laughs> to see yeah. if I could interview somebody in the film. So that door was closed. Hecate did not open that door to me. Right. I don't know if there's ever another way where maybe I could get through to the director some other through some other channel. I'm not really sure how to do that, but I, I'm holding out hope that maybe some there be some moment where I can interview him and right. see what's up. But in a, in a certain way, I don't want to know. Yeah. What he thinks. Right. You know what I mean? Like, because I'm pretty you... sure that my work is pretty deep and that it explains right. a lot of the film and that. Anyone listening to this podcast could go through the last 21 episodes and see all the information that I've given out and do their own right. thought process and be able to pretty much get the general gist right. of the film. You know, maybe I'm not explaining every single fucking sure. moment, but I'm, at the very least, I'm really explaining all the, the big themes right. and the mythological ideas and, and tons of symbolism throughout the entire film. I think sure. I'm giving you a lot to go on. So. No, definitely. So I, I feel confident that I've correctly right. translated what if you, the movie. What if you get to talk to the director, but he gives you the stay silent? Ah. He hands you a card at the end and says, stay silent. What, what do you, and then you can never podcast. I can't it. publish the yeah. interview or can yeah. I? No, can I publish can't. it? I can't. Oh, no. no, fuck that. No, you wouldn't, inter you wouldn't talk to him just to get your own piece if of If I mind? have to then stay silent? Yeah. Oh, but you're saying I wouldn't have to just stay silent forever. I could do other things. I just can't talk about the movie anymore. Yeah. Or you I can't, can't talk about his... All right, I would yeah. maybe do that. But yeah. that sucks. Yeah. I mean, the whole point of this is trying to show other people... Robert, why did you do that? Yeah. The whole point of this David, is to show... David. sorry, not Robert. People, like, a whole symbolic language and how you can watch art you know watch movies especially but look yeah. in, at art and try to like just dig deeper and deeper. dig deeper and find yeah. out deeper meanings and maybe it would help you as the a viewer of art a consumer yeah. of art like understand deeper levels of you know pieces of art that you've loved your whole life but never understood and that, right like when the you go into dance. this like the safety dance and now yeah. we've totally cracked the safety dance yeah exactly Oh my God, that's, I got to do way more research to understand what the fucking safety dance is all about. <laughs> I don't know. I, 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 this is, I will never do anything like this again. That's for sure. You sure? Definitely not. No. No way would I dedicate a year and a half of my life to another movie, interpreting another movie. That's insane. Okay. All right. Why would I do that? Not even Meteor Man? Uh, what is Meteor Man? Uh, that's a, uh, like a. Early 90s superhero movie? What's it about? I forget. I saw it at the Zeotrope. I don't really remember much about it. Where'd you see it? The Zeotrope in Franklin, Massachusetts. No shit, really? Yeah. That movie theater is probably where I... Oh, I definitely remember seeing Empire Strikes Back in the yeah. movie theater. Yeah. I probably saw Star Wars there too, but we went to um, the movie theater in Milford, right, Mass. to see say, Star Wars. I was going to say, didn't you go see it in Milford? Yeah. Uh, wow, you even know that. That's amazing. Yeah, you know that's that. weird, right? Because you would have been like one years old. Or yeah, something. I wasn't. I did not go to see Star no, Wars with you. I don't think so. I wonder no. who you were with while we were seeing Star Wars. You probably just left me at home. <laughs> with nobody? Home. Nobody. You're probably with Grandma. Yeah, probably. Grandma Post. Watching soaps. 
Watching watching the Red Sox. Yeah. I don't know. Wow, this Franklin Zeotrope. I like that movie theater. Oh, it's a great movie theater. Yeah. And it eventually became like a dollar movie theater. Yeah, that's before right. Before it went out of business. They screen a lot of cool, weird movies. What's the coolest movie you saw there? Do you remember? Um, I saw uh, Total Recall there. I don't know when it first came out. Total Recall? Yeah. Saw Army of Darkness there when it first came oh, out. Oh, wow. Uh, I mean, Shots that was before by. it was a dollar movie theater. I saw Heathers there. Wow. As that's a, a good midnight one. showing. Yeah. I think it's cool that they were doing midnight showings. Yeah. I don't remember them doing yeah. that before. No, that was near the end. Yeah. That was, yeah. Did they ever do like, uh, uh, what do you call it? Let's do the time warp again. Oh, uh, they probably did Rocky Horror. Yeah. Probably. That's the next movie you should break down. Nope. No, I'm joking. <laughs> um, nice. Good, good crack. knuckle crack. All right. So we've explained the entire movie over yeah. a year and a half. What have you learned, Andy? I've learned a lot about mythology. Yeah. Learned that you're good at researching. Thank you. Yeah. I've learned that I didn't do any research. (laughs) (laughs) But that's okay, because you did all the research. Right. Did you mind that I... I... Oh, it's awesome. Okay. I like this. It's fun. I like being the guy you're telling the story to. Right. How has it affected you in terms of you being a storyteller? Like, what does it make you... Makes me never want to make a story again. No, I'm joking. <laughs> uh, Seriously, I, like, what? How's is it affected what you've been doing as a? Oh, I mean, I'm not really. I haven't been this whole time. I haven't been doing any storytelling. Mm-hmm. I've just been doing character designing. So, uh, have you, you know. seen parallels in the character designing and the and the what we've been talking about? Uh, a little bit, you know. It's it's mythology, so there's definitely. Mm-hmm. Uh, like we've designed Dionysus and. But it's oh, different. you have? Yeah, it's a different... Did it affect your design at no, all? No, no. Okay. Uh, it's what they're trying to do is different. Yeah. So, um, completely different take on mythology. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting to see, you know, like different, the same things come up in two different areas of my life. Totally bizarre. Totally bizarre. Is there anything in the movie that you don't think we figured out? Like, what are the, the mysteries sure. that are, are there big mysteries that you're like, I still can't figure out what this is? Well, hamburgers are love. Right. I don't know if I'll ever get that. Right. And that seems like a big one. It's such a huge word clue that I, yeah. I'm, I mean, clearly that's what I'm bad at is the actual word cipher stuff. Right. I'm not, I don't really, it doesn't mean much to me. Right. Um. Or I'm not that interested in figuring it out. I don't know, man. I, I feel like we... I'd have to go through it all over again to figure think, well, see what moments I didn't get. If we do the the watch through... We'd certainly we find them. We could point out the yeah. points. Where like, like, who is uh, Alan? Yeah, we're not quite sure. I'm pretty sure the green lady is an ISIS right. stand-in in a way. Okay. But who's Alan? That's a good a big mystery. Yeah. What's his yeah. deal? Yeah. You had a theory though, didn't you? Um, I can't remember, honestly. I mean, he's wearing a woman's woman's clothes, so there's yeah. a certain hermaphroditic right. thing to that, but I kind of thought maybe he was like Eros or something like right. that. Or like Pan. Right. I don't know who the fuck he is. I don't know. He knows everybody though. He does know everybody, so he's definitely like a God or God adjacent. Yeah. You know? He's in their zone. 
Yeah. <sighs> There's not too many other things I can think of off the top of my nah. head that we didn't get, but I'm absolutely certain there are things we didn't get. And I wonder what things I'm like completely wrong about as well. Right. You know? Yeah. There must be some of those too. I'm sure. I guess we should wrap it up. Uh, I just want to say thanks for doing this with me. Oh, yeah. I hope it was fun for you. Yeah, it was great. I'm going to miss doing this. Yeah. I know we haven't been doing these very often, but I've definitely enjoyed it too. And I'm just amazed at like, I feel like this is all Red Letter Media's fault. Why is that? Oh, because we saw, we heard about the movie through them. Through them. I mean, I had seen a trailer and, and, but they were like, their review of it was like, I was like, oh, I have to watch this movie. Yeah. Because, uh, what's his name? Mike? Not Mike. The other guy. Um, not, uh, not the. Not Rich. Not Rich, but the other guy. Yeah. Jay. 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 He liked the movie. He really liked it. And I tend to be more into what Jay likes, except he likes really. Some of the stuff he likes, I don't like, but but Jay doesn't like Star Trek, right? Right. Well, that's where I, I differ from. They Jay. cover both sides of your yeah, liking, of my, my likings. You like your movie likings, right? And, um, then, and then Rich is like my avatar. <laughs> really? I don't know. I'm just Dicky the birthday boy. Yeah. Um, it's funny because that so Red Letter Media as a movie explaining, reviewing podcast yeah. and. Blank check with Griffin and David as a yeah. movie reviewing explaining podcast. I feel like all those guys would hate what I've been doing. Right? <laughs> they would. They would shit on all the right. The, I, Jay might the like deeper. It. Maybe Jay would like. I don't know. They all. They all seem to poo poo any like deeper meanings right. into movies. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. They don't go that far. Yeah, uh, I guess I would shout out Jay Widener as well, who's definitely influenced me. With his explanations of like Kubrick, yeah. two thousand and one, and Eyes Wide Shut, The Shining. That was uh, when when the when Griffin and David were talking about The Shining, they were shitting on the idea of like the that The Shining might be about the moon landing. Right. And right. That's when you realize they wouldn't like your podcast. I think I knew already okay. <laughs> that they probably wouldn't like what I was doing. But I love their work, and I wish yeah. like they could hear this stuff. And you should send and, it to them then anyway. Uh, maybe I don't know. They probably probably wouldn't dig it. I feel like I've learned so much shit just doing this, yeah. and it was a really amazing gateway into learning about all this mythological and historical stuff, and it has spiritual aspects to me as well. Right. It connects that all the things that I've learned connect to all this other stuff that I'm interested in. Right. It's interesting because I think where this podcast might go is I want to start talking about extraterrestrials. Nice. And all that stuff. Right. And because it seems like a lot of mythologies and early, early histories of the worlds all point back to the stars and the right. relationship to the constellations right. and about like, you know, like the watchers or the, or the um, Anunnaki or whatever. Right. And like these old histories that talk about people coming from other places and seeding the earth. Right. I don't want to ever do this much research and work to make a podcast again. This is way too hard <laughs> and too time consuming. I yeah. just, I can't do that, but I want to do still do things that really use a lot of production yeah. So um, I want it, to, it's interesting that we end this talking about 
uh, Sam ascending into the stars. Right. And that's, for me, thematically, that's where, that's where I kind of want to yeah. go in terms yeah. of su subject matter in the future. Nice. That's cool. probably where I'm we're going to go. I forward to hearing that stuff. Yeah, and, and hopefully you'll be a part of something. I mean, yeah. I, I, you know, I think if you ever come up with another show or a movie that you want to, like, d dig into, right. me, let me know and we can talk about shit. Okay. Sounds good. But, uh, okay, so let's wind, let's round it, let's, uh, what's the word? Okay. Wrap it up. Let's uh, rip it up. Rip it up. Wrap it up. Thank you, Andy. Thank you, I, I, seriously, man, I appreciate you being willing to do this. It's, oh, yeah. It's nuts. <laughs> so I'm glad you're entertained by it, at least. Love it. Yeah. You think you guys will ever do the Art Shed show again? I would love to get back to it. Yeah. Uh, we're figuring it out. Yeah. We had a talk a few months ago about what the next version of the Art Shed is, yeah. but I don't think it's going to, that version is going to happen. I might try to do something where I have you guys back on as yeah. the Art Shed. Nice. Yeah. So, welcome to the welcome to the art shed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I definitely have something that I want to do with Carl. Yeah, so maybe you could be a part of that one. Yeah, I or mean, it could I, be a I would love to get back to talk about the Lord of the Rings. To do, I'm not necessarily that, but I'd love to just go and interview artists again. I I really yeah. enjoyed that. All right, well, we'll look out for that. Welcome to the art shed. What do you uh, let people know about? Any oh yeah, ways to my, find uh, you online. So I've got uh, AndyRosano.com. You can find links to my Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, whatever, there. At some point, I'm going to start making drawing videos again. But I'll, Oh, cool. But that might be like a year from now. I don't, I'm not sure. It might be next year. I, I might try to make a resolution to do a video a month or something like that. What were those called? Uh, that was Drawing with Andy. Those were YouTube videos? YouTube videos. Drawing? Yep. Those are dope. Yeah, thanks. And yeah. then the show I'm working on, Crapopolis, it'll start airing next year. So sometime. I don't think we have an air date yet. I'll give all my stats afterwards, but you know, you can find me at Phil Restino on Instagram. You can find all my work on theseardreams.com. Let's wrap it up. Okay, so thank you, Andy. Thank you, listeners, for listening to 21 episodes of this complete crazy insanity and deep dives into the underworld. So and the mythological realities that surround us in our current 21st century times. Right. So what? Oh, excluding episode zero, there's a set, seven times three is 21. So the, the three, the three, uh, triple headed goddess, triple headed goddess and the seven sisters. Nice. Combined. Combined to 21 episodes. 21 episodes. Holy shit. That's cool. I'm done with that, man. So there you have it. You have the triple goddess shining bright in the sky, along with Osiris and Isis, Sirius and Orion, and the seven sisters, the Pleiades, radiating their good vibes down on us, along with the auspiciousness of this being recorded during a blood moon lunar eclipse wow now and forevermore you can't plan this shit you can't it's plan just, this shit you can't plan this shit but you can't explain this shit yeah and we did we explained it all man yeah so thank you for listening and i'll see you all swimming in the wine colored moon under the silver lake <laughs>
See you later. There you go. Post-relevant podcast, episode 21. Sam swims to the moon. In the books, 21 episodes of this podcast dedicated to decoding one single movie. What was I thinking? Seems pretty crazy now that I'm done with it, but it was definitely something I guess I needed to do. I don't know how it was for you guys listening, but I hope it was at least marginally entertaining and (laughs) semi-informative. Obviously, I didn't figure on the entire film out. Um, Something that I realized I never really touched upon throughout the whole interpretation is a lot of the monster stuff that's referenced throughout the film. I mean, we talked about vampires and Dracula, obviously, and Frankenstein. Sam's wearing that Frankenstein shirt. We mentioned that at one point. But we didn't talk much about some of the other posters in his house. Uh, There's that Creature of the Black Lagoon poster. And I would guess that you could say Sam was that creature, especially in the moment where he's uh, in the Silver Lake, the actual Silver Lake, with Millicent. You could say he's sort of a creature of the lagoon in that way. The other monster that we really didn't talk all about is the Wolfman. And Sam, if if he's any monster, he's a Wolfman. You know, he follows the coyote to Millicent's house when he's being born again with the homeless king. There's also the coyote eating garbage while they're singing happy birthday to him. So he's almost being born again as a Wolfman in that moment. And then once he flees the Silver Lake after Millicent is shot, he runs home naked in the middle of the night and wakes up naked on his floor. And that, along with the scene where he wakes up groggy with his hands red earlier on in the film, I think are references to the Wolfman, but especially that scene where he runs home naked wakes up naked so it's as if he's been out under the full moon transformed into the wolfman and wakes up the next day transformed back into a regular man what could be more related to the full moon than a wolfman i mean a wolfman is a monster that is literally brought about by the rising of the full moon at the sight of the full moon a man is transformed into a wolfman so if there's any monster that is important to the idea of the moon in this movie it's the wolfman and sam is definitely depicted as a wolfman throughout this film so i never really talked about that but i don't know you know obviously i'm not gonna get it all and it's funny just as i'm finishing up the show i realized yeah i forgot to really talk about that but didn't totally ring bells in my head until just now, so I thought I'd mention it. There's so many different avenues to explore in the film. Uh, the whole grail quest, the chess game that's going on, the video game aspect, even the idea that maybe Sam's insane and a lot of this stuff is just happening in his head. The mystery schools, there's so many different kinds of ways to interpret the narrative. It could be interesting to just try to follow one theme throughout the whole film. I'd be interested to see somebody else try to put together timelines where of maybe just the Grail Quest or 
of uh, every reference to a video game. It's like there's seven different stories going on simultaneously in the film, which is pretty wild. And then there's the reference to the seven heavens too. We probably could have gone deeper into that as well. I guess Sam has arrived on the first heaven, the moon, by the end of the movie. And if I didn't make this clear enough, I'm pretty sure that the first heaven is the astral realm. And that's why all this weirdness is happening because Sam is existing in the dream time, in the astral realm, where everything means something, where symbolism reigns, and where potentially nefarious spirits are still able to dwell before you get into the upper heavens where everything is more of a unified mind. Seven heavens, seven planets. Sam's made it to the first one. I wonder if you can make a movie for every journey he takes to the next level, the next heaven, the next planet. Could be cool. Real quick, one last thing that I just recently came across is this uh, YouTube channel called The Book of Knowledge. And the O-W-L is in capital letters in the word knowledge. So there's an owl reference right there. There's one video that the narrator from this YouTube channel made, and it's called The Mother Moon Goddess, The Letter C, and The Origins of the Star and Crescent. It's a 20 minute video, so I'm not gonna go too deep into the whole thing, but it sort of distills the symbolism of the moon. If you want a simple, short, digestible piece of work that really enlightens you on the main symbolism for this film, and why I really think the moon is the central image. This is the thing to look at, and I'll just mention a couple of brief things. He talks about the letter C, and the letter C is the crescent moon. And the crescent moon is the pregnant belly of the moon goddess. And this pregnant moon goddess gives birth to the savior sun. The letter C and the crescent moon represents the primordial waters of the sea, as well as the womb. It also represents Luna C. He says the crescent moon looks like a C, a letter C. It represents the C, S-E-A-C, and it affects how you see things, which means that the moon equals the mind. And he also talks about how the C, the letter C, and the crescent moon represents a cup or a container that holds water. So like, for example, pottery was an ancient invention that was revolutionary because suddenly we could hold and transport water. So the sea is a cup or a container that holds water. So there's two symbols from the film as well, obviously. It also represents a skull. And you'll see in older works of art, people in certain paintings will be depicted with skulls and the skull is a container of knowledge. You know, because not only is your brain housed in it as a living person, but it also can be a symbol for a container that carries a whole school of knowledge. This is an amazing video. I really recommend for people to check it out. Look up the Book of Knowledge on YouTube, and it's O-W-L and knowledge is capitalized. Really worthwhile checking out. Anyway, obviously you can tell I could probably just talk forever about this feels like a gateway, this movie, to so many ideas. I guess part of me knew that's what it was gonna be and that's why I took this journey with you guys and with Sam. 
and as I sit on the moon in the midst of the stars, looking down on my past life, I'd like to think that I can see clearly now. What were those pages on your nightstand? Hmm. The ones with all the scribbles? No, there's nothing. No, tell me, I want to know. Well, have you ever heard about um, old record albums having satanic messages in them, if you play them backwards? Sure. Well, I was watching Wheel of Fortune, and I noticed that Vanna White did this little pattern of glances every so often. She would look straight ahead, to the right, to the left, and then back again. <laughs> and I was like, I was just, I started to wonder, is that random? Is there a reason, like a pattern behind it? And if there, if there is, maybe there's something meaningful in that pattern, so... Yeah, I just started taking note of when it happened. Past seven months, I got a complete record. I just, I've just been thinking, why do we just assume that all of this infrastructure and entertainment and open information that is beaming all over the place, all the time, into every single home on the planet is exactly what we're told it is. Maybe there are people out there who are more important than us, more powerful and wealthier than us, that are communicating things and seeing things in the world that are meant for only them and not for us. I think it's fucking ridiculous to assume that media has just one purpose, right? Mm, yeah. Oh, you think that's weird? A little. You don't, you don't ever think that maybe rich people know something that you and I don't? restaurants, maybe. Look, don't take this the wrong way, but you smell so bad. And I, I think I should get going. Okay, well, thanks for the juice. I'll be back when the smell goes away. So I thought I was done talking on this episode, but uh, there's one more thing that sort of rolled across my consciousness today as I was finishing up the show. And it's essentially this. So the procession of the equinox, which I think I've talked about before on the show, has to do with the movement of the constellations across the sky, and that's where the zodiac comes from, the 12 signs of the zodiac. And one procession takes, uh, I keep on seeing different things. Either it's 24,000 years or 26,000 years, I'm not really sure. But in concurrence with that, there are four ages that we pass through on this planet. The Golden Age, the Silver Age, the Bronze Age, and the Kali Yuga, the Iron Age, which is the shit show we've been living through in the modern world. And these ages affect our consciousness. In the Golden Age, we're one with God. In the Silver Age, we're, you know, not as close to God in consciousness, but we're still pretty groovy, you know? In the Bronze Age, we are experiencing more separation. And by the time we get to the Kali Yuga, the Iron Age, we don't know that God exists pretty much, and we just live in fear. Does it sound familiar? 
Well, supposedly, supposedly, the reason that we go through those four stages, those four ages, is because our sun is in a binary system with another star, and that star is the star Sirius. Now, Sirius is a double star, actually. Um, Sirius A is way bigger than our sun and the brightest star in the sky. And Sirius B is a, a white dwarf and about the same mass as our sun, but even smaller than our sun. But apparently, according to the esotericists or the ancients or what have you, our sun and Sirius revolve around each other. They have these elliptical orbits that cross over each other. At some point, the suns get really close to each other. And during the time periods where Sirius and our sun are closest to each other, we're in the golden age. And as they get farther away from each other, we go into the silver age and farther away in the bronze age. And then when they're at their furthest from each other, we're in the iron age, the Kali Yuga. And so at this point in time, we've rounded the part of the orbit of the two stars where they're furthest from each other. And we're heading back towards Sirius. Our sun is heading back towards Sirius now. So we're passing out of the Kali Yuga and heading into, I guess, well, sometimes I hear them say the new golden age, but it, it seems to me when I look at like the way it's depicted on a little diagram, we're heading back into a bronze age. But anyway, essentially our star is heading back towards Sirius, towards Isis. And that means we're heading back in the direction of higher and higher consciousness. So anyway, the people who have been running the world and trying to enslave us all essentially are aware that we're heading back towards a new golden age and they're doing all they can to retard our process and stop our consciousness from elevating, which is inevitably impossible, but they're doing their darndest to try because they've been controlling us for thousands of years and they're used to being in power and they know it's game over, man. It's game over. And this is always a game of numbers because the people that rule the world are really a small, small group of people and the way that they can control us all is through our consciousness, through programming us. And how do you do that? You do that through the media, through the news, through the music, through the movies, through polluting the food and the air and the water, through governments designed to limit your choices, through squashing the release of advanced technologies that could help us all, through promoting an antiquated medical system. And so a scenario like Under the Silver Lake doesn't start to look too far-fetched, essentially, if you look at it all from this perspective. What if they're sending secret messages to each other through the media? What if they're using the media to program our consciousness and it's all being written by people, secret people who are working for them, who are trying to keep us dumbed down and fighting with each other and focusing on lower vibrational states of mind like fear and envy and hatred, lust, what have you. And so this great awakening is happening on our planet and we're missing it because we're focusing on the shite that they're shoveling into our minds every day. And meanwhile, they're reaping all the benefits and maybe even thinking that they're gonna get to catch the next comet off this planet and into their next level of ascension, but if they're vibrating at such a low level of control, I don't think it's gonna work out too well for them no matter what they believe. Because inevitably, love wins, unity wins, 
that is the direction of progress in the universe for us. As we move closer to Isis, to Sirius, the star, the star of Bethlehem, we move closer towards unity with all that is, with the source, with the force, the living force, with the I am, the great I am. We become one more and more, identify as one more and more, understand each other more and more. Our consciousness grows, our connections grow, our power grows, our love grows. So in one way, you could look at it as the barking dog is the warning sign that you're getting too close to the underworld, but the way I'm starting to see it now, the barking of that dog, that dog star, Sirius, AKA Isis of Canis Major, that dog is God's dog, <laughs> the fool's dog, Orion's dog, that dog star is the God star, the best friend of all that is, welcoming each and every one of us back home into the infinite mansions of light scattered across the golden hills of the seven heavens. <laughs> At least that's how it looks to me from my place on the moon. Thank you for listening to the Post Relevant Podcast, episode 21, Sam Swims to the Moon. Very special thanks to Brother Andy Restino for his excellent conversation throughout our entire dissection of Under the Silver Lake. Look out for his new show, Crapopolis, coming to a TV near you in 2023. You can find out more about Andy by going to andyrestino.com. Very special thanks to Halizna CC0 for his amazing music that's featured all over this episode and many other episodes of the podcast. You can find him by looking up H-O-L-I-Z-N-A-C-C-0 on freemusicarchive.org. And you can support his work by going to patreon.com forward slash Holizna. Also featured on this episode is the original song, Mr. Victory, which is off of the album, Songs from the End of the End of the World by the Troy Westfield Experience. Mr. Victory and other songs that have been featured on other episodes of the podcast was written and produced by Mike Gordon on guitar and bass, Brent Popolizio on drums, and yours truly, Phil Restino, on lyrics and vocals. And also featured the guitar wizardry of Alan Tobin, who plays with an LA flair, and Steam and Steve Donnelly, otherwise known as Smoochie Daggers. Also, special thanks to Mike Perillo, who played drums on the song Her Mystery School from episode 17. You can hear the entirety of our new album, which was released earlier this year, Songs from the End of the End of the World by the Troy Westfield Experience, as well as maybe three or four other original albums by going to thetwe.bandcamp.com. If you'd like to see tons of samples of my original acting, artwork, and music, including the album Bodoved by Agents of Venus, which featured the post-relevant movement song, you can go to my website, thesearedreams.com, and you can contact me at Phil Restino on Facebook and Instagram. And if you go to my Instagram, instagram.com forward slash Phil Restino, you can see original posters, lyrics, videos, and anything else that has to do with the Post Relevant Podcast for the full 5D experience. 
And finally, if you like what we do here and you'd like to support the podcast, you can help us out by going on over to patreon.com forward slash post relevant. Thank you again to everyone who's listened to the past 22 episodes from all over the world, wherever you are. It's not lost on me. I'm truly grateful. More post-relevant podcasts to come. Season two. I'm going to dramatically switch up the way this podcast works. I've got a lot of cool ideas in mind, so stay tuned. We'll rock your world. I might still try to do a watch-along with Brother Andy of Under the Silver Lake, too, so maybe look out for that. I'll let you know. I'll probably be surfing around the underground and through the stars as the year comes to a close. But look out for this podcast in the new year. And the way you could probably look out for us is by subscribing. I've never asked you to do that before. What do you think? I mean, what the hell, right? Right? At any rate, thank you for listening to the Post Relevant Podcast. The podcast for the end of the end of the world. And remember what Janet Gaynor says. Never look down. Always look up.